Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Hello and welcome to another edition of Turned Out of Punk Footnotes. I am one of your hosts, Damien Abraham, and your other host is Chris O'Toole. Chris, how you doing, buddy? Great, man. How are you? I am doing fantastic. I am, uh, uh, you know, wide awake, totally up, and <laughs> ready to, to talk records. And, uh, you know, keep it short. I think we're going to keep it short. <laughs> No, there's no fucking <laughs> yes. way we're keeping it short. <laughs> well, we try. <laughs> we try. If I say it enough, maybe it'll happen one day. <laughs> yes. But uh, how, how are you doing? How's your week been? Good, man. Well, it's early in, so I don't know. It's it's decent. Busy. Okay, yeah. Same same here. It's been a busy week, but I did uh, – last week I was on Q Radio, you know, Q, um, you know, former home of Shad. Yeah. <laughs> um, when I was booked, Shad was the host. And I was like, oh, cool. I'll get to catch up with my friend Shad. But, you know, Pia was there, and I like Pia, so it was good in the end. But anyway, that's not what I'm talking about today. I'm talking because while I was there, I'm standing out in the hallway, and I look over, and I'm like, I didn't recognize that guy that's standing over there, this tall person over there, but I don't know where from. And I just can't make connect the face, right? I'm just yeah. standing in the hallway waiting to go in. And uh, he goes in, and I, and I see a, a woman w- walk in behind him, and I'm like, I recognize her, but I can't place the face. And then I see another guy, and I'm like, oh, that looks just like uh, a friend of mine. And, like, you know, it's like all these faces I can't connect. Anyway, they walk in, and then I go into the control room, and I sit there, and I'm like uh, – and then they announce it. And it's like, you know, it was Sarah Harmer, and then oh. and then the, the bass player from the Bare Naked Ladies. Oh, Right. And I'm like, oh, my gosh, I have always wanted to meet this guy because there's something I've always needed to ask him. And so, (laughs) you know, they finish their thing and they're set. And I walk in. I'm like, hey, that guy there was amazing. They did an incredible cover of a of a uh, of a tragically hip song. It was like a tragically hip episode tribute episode to the tragedy gotcha. yeah yeah uh so i walk in there and i'm like yeah that was awesome that song and, and i'm like hey i got a question for you and he's like yeah and i'm like did you go to high school with a guy named simon harvey and he oh. goes yeah i think so maybe did he play in a punk band i'm like uh probably but i'm like the reason i'm asking is was there ever a plan for you guys to do a split with like a death metal band the bare naked ladies i mean and he's like ah uh, that sounds vaguely familiar so apparently now i don't have to say apparently anymore at one point <laughs> there was potentially going to be a bare naked ladies split with a unbelievable over the top death metal grindcore band type thing i don't remember exactly what type of music and nor did he uh but maybe when simon comes on one day we can ask simon Wow. And so you're saying Simon was going to do that? Simon was going to put this out. 
Oh, at wow. one point. That's what Simon told me years ago. And, you know, not that it wasn't that I didn't believe him, but I, uh, you know. Well, it does sound strange in hindsight. But... Yeah, exactly. Exactly. It, it was a it was a very weird thing for someone to bring up. And I'm like, did I imagine this thing? So I had to ask him. So, I'm, yes, I can <laughs> confirm with the Bare Naked Ladies from from Jim Cregan's own mouth. I can say that there was a plan at one point potentially for a split with an aggressive <laughs> band. I like that you like we haven't really even gotten the episode yet. and You came in hot with that anecdote right away. It's like news. You guys get headlines off the top, right? <laughs> it is. Right. It was like people are like, "Fuck! Finally, we know." Oh, we were wondering. <laughs> I think the Bare Naked Ladies have probably the biggest selling demo tape in Canadian history. Canadian music. History. I I wasn't even aware that they actually had a demo. It doesn't surprise me. You don't know that yellow tape? Uh, no, never, never seen it. It's like it's. It, I say it like you don't know that yellow tape because it's something that was like they launched Page Music Distribution Service off this tape. To help sell this tape. And I think it sold something like 20,000 copies or something incredible. But it's the one with like Be My Yoko Ono, Brian Wilson, and If I Had a Hundred Dollars, a Million Dollars. dollars. (laughs) I like to keep it a little more budget. If I had a Hundred (laughs) Dollars right now, I'd be pretty stoked too. Uh, And uh, they do a cover of Fight the Power, which of course, you know, is not as favorably remembered, I don't think. Um, <laughs> probably not no uh, i'm familiar with those songs in that band of that era but i don't uh yeah i don't know that one that tape i the reason i have it is because i picked it up at like um value village a couple of years ago but it, i think it sold like yeah maybe uh, now i gotta look it up Thirty thousand copies i think it won a juno wow <laughs> like that's <laughs> like how, how do you know you've kind of done well in the music industry bare naked ladies demo <laughs> i like how absolutely out of the gate you're coming in strong tonight well i gotta start off i gotta wake myself up buddy hey this is what we're this doing is good there are at least this five is, demos I, apparently oh my god was that band really like because in canada that was a big big deal were they big outside of canada barely good ladies oh yeah they, yeah, they, no, had, they no. i say that like <laughs> incredulous fuck you chris yes they were huge <laughs> Uh, I'm just using the template of the atypical like band big in Canada that is not as big, obviously as okay, big. Okay, well here it is, Chris. They, that the yellow tape sold more than eighty five thousand copies. Wow! And it became the first independent release to be certified platinum in Canada. Huh? Yeah, that is insane. Yeah, to think like a demo. I mean that their actual studio record like went like so whatever the crazy. I don't know if it went gold or whatever the hell it was, but yeah, I remember that record blowing up. I think it's called yeah. Gordon. Yeah. But demo, wow. That demo. That demo was that demo sold more than most bands do now with like a whole album. That's a strange phenomenon too, because even when that came out, I mean that would have been what, maybe late eighties? Uh I think that one's ninety one. Yeah, ninety one. So were they already like I'm trying to think of like were they on Speaker's Corner and all that stuff? Yeah, already? that was like they were already I think well into that period. Like yeah. they had already had like three other demo tapes. Oh, okay, I see. So they had all right. This yeah. is just hilarious. Like, <laughs> like a bare naked ladies history recap here, <laughs> right up the top. <laughs> <laughs> it's going. It's going to be an interesting one, folks. Yeah. 
Yeah, well, that's that's what we're that's what we're trying to do, right? We're uh, we're keeping it fun, keeping it. Wait, wait a sec. Like I want to. I'm looking at their first demo tape here. Got to find this, the green tape. Seen this one, Chris? <laughs> I have not seen any of the tapes. Oh wait, there's a, like two versions of it. One that's like super long, like one that's like a full version where they do a cover of Psycho Killer. Oh boy. And a message to you, Rudy. Rudy, a message to you, I should say. <laughs> really? That's a bold cover as yep. well. Yep. They were really, they were swinging for the fences early. I, yeah. They also do a Ter- Terrence Trent Darby cover as well. They were like, yeah, they knew. <laughs> that. that is crazy. I can't even admit, envision some of these covers, to be honest. Um, I don't know. I think they would do a sixth version of Psycho Killer. I got, I got him to say, Brian Wilson, that's a good song. I see if I, I agree. I when you that. said that, that's actually the first thing that came to my mind. I yeah. did. I did think that song was good, and I thought it was clever. Like I thought the the content of the song lyrically is good as well. Oh, for the time period that that came out, that's like deep cut knowledge. Like that would be yeah. like, oh, you're you're like a big music fan. Oh my god, you know music. You're Beach Boys. Holy jeez, that's a <laughs> that's an obscurity. <laughs> True. Then yes. Yeah. That's now, pre pre rediscovery of pet sounds, like pre pet sounds being reissued and remastered. Yeah, that's true. And I think that was when it was kind of like the uh, the beginning of the critical asse- assessment, which reached critical mass with smile. Oh my God, we're not even out of my non sequitur news story from the beginning of the show. We should just move on, Chris. <laughs> you haven't even you haven't plugged anything yet. Yeah. No. Uh, yeah. <laughs> anyway. Today is an amazing episode that Chris and I are going to talk about of Turned Out of Punk because I got to interview Bricks Smith Start of The Fall and of um, AdultNet and uh, Bricks and the Extricated. Extricated, And she is uh, a fashion icon and and, and just like an awesome person. Like, I think that really hopefully came across because I think it came across to me getting to talk to her. Yeah, it did to me. I mean, I didn't know much admittedly about her specifically, but obviously the things she was involved with, I knew slightly. Uh, but yeah, it was, I, I thought you did a good job. I don't want to be the guy that's just patting you on the back here, but I thought it was good. You know, you can be that guy, Chris. <laughs> I assure you, none of my kids are doing that. <laughs> punching me super hard in the ass though that's holden's new thing it's just like walk up behind me and just give me a hard butt shot oh and and you Where's know what's weird and i've you know if anyone in fucked up listened to my podcast they would laugh hilariously at this right now or our podcast our podcast chris i should say that's fine <laughs> they would probably jonah would listen to your podcast um but i don't think he'd listen to anything i was on unfortunately <laughs> um but anyway they would be laughing right now because on one tour that we went to europe I thought it was hilarious to punch them in the butt too, as like a, you know, a thing we would do. And then we did it to people on stage and it was a, it was a big old funny thing we did. But anyway, <laughs> karma. It's come, come back. It's going to come up behind you and punch you in the ass one day. Wow. Um, but anyway, I digress. <laughs> I digress. <laughs> so pat me on the back all you want, Chris. All right. Done. It's done. You should pl- you should plug the things off the top though. You forgot to do all that. 
Well, I don't. I don't normally plug them till the end, don't I? Oh, well, I thought we did both. Whatever. Either okay. Way. Well, okay. Sure. Uh, the, the bare naked ladies have thrown us off our game. Here. Yeah, the bare naked ladies have thrown us way off our game. No, do I? I don't think I do it normally off the top. Do I? Like maybe not. I don't know. Okay. We, well, uh, let me do this off the top. Uh, subscribe to this thing. Write a review. Rate it. Uh, tell all your friends about it because uh, that's how you spread the word, and that would be awesome. Thank you for everyone who does those things. We really appreciate it. And, uh, yeah, I guess we'll get on with the show. Yes. There was another news item off the top from a a former guest who I wanted you to shout out. Yep. Uh, John Worcester is on Late Night with Seth Meyers on drums with the house band this week. So you're probably hearing this a little bit into his run, maybe way after his run. If so, (laughs) go back and check. Yes. Uh, if, If you are in the latter camp and are listening during the run... I bet he's been doing some cool punk covers. I kind of think that might be a thing he's going to do. Well, I, I kind of like, I've, I don't watch the show religiously, but I, I have seen a few. I, I always like that they kind of do that with the band. I yeah. believe yeah. Maskus was also, uh, like did like a week at one time as well. Yeah. Um, so it's, it's kind of cool how those people seem to be on it every now and again. Well, but, I think uh, like, I don't know if this is real, but, uh, former guest Fred Armisen, like when I say yeah. I don't know if it's real, I don't know how active this is, but I think he's the music director of that show. Yeah, like I and I know Worcester is definitely like taking his place like this week or whatever. Yeah. Uh, so I think what happens is when he's filming Portlandia or whatever he has people come in and I guess John is at this week. Yep. Yep. No, yeah. and he and he, but I think he actually plays a role in picking people too. So Oh yeah, probably that would explain the good taste. Yeah, solid choice. But uh, I plan to uh, to check them out. So I'm curious oh, to see what they do. Yeah. Absolutely. Um, oh, yeah, this is a cool, I guess this is a, a flyer that was posted by Revelation Records. Yeah, I think today. Yeah, it was today. 10 was hours it today? Yeah. Yeah. And it was uh, and it was a Youth of the Day show with New Balance, who would go on to become Zero Tolerance, and uh, MSI. Yeah, from Toronto. Toronto, which is more <clears throat> stupid initials, which uh, featured Glenn Salter um, from Full Blast Records, something that comes up on this show an awful lot. Anytime you hear a Toronto guest, that story seems to come up, I find. And what's the venue here? Uh, Ildico's. Ildico's, and it was on Bloor, it says. Yeah. yeah, it's a pool hall. I don't know what it is now, but it used to be above the Blockbuster video. It was a pool hall right by Brunswick, but then it... Uh, I think that was the Ildico's. That would make sense. Yeah. that's uh, And uh, now it's a grocery store, but I don't know what's upstairs. Cool. Yep. Oh, it's a matinee, too. It's a 2 p.m. Yeah, there's something, like, funny about that show, too. Like, they played in Hamilton? or is it, I don't know. Maybe yeah. I'm just totally misremembering stories. Probably Buffalo. That's probably close enough. Yeah, I just dug that up because I saw they threw that up today, and I... I just normally scan over photos or flyers rather thinking that's probably not anywhere that I've been or what have you. But I thought that was neat because I always heard tell of this show, but I never, I'd never seen a flyer for it before myself. I've seen this flyer before. It's one of those ones that you do see around Toronto occasionally, but like, it's still such a, such a cool show. What a cool, uh, like, you know, set of like, I guess set of bands. Yeah. Kind of like perfectly encapsulating that era of Buffalo and Toronto with those two bands. 
Yeah, it says it was 1987. So yeah, it would have been a straight edge show. Like I think all those bands were straight edge too. Like I know MSI at that point. I'm sure at least was straight edge. Cool. I'm wondering, do you know who Rampage Productions were? It's listed on the flyer. No. Curious about that. Also, you think they played here with Straight Ahead one time too, right? I wasn't aware of that either. They played Toronto twice, like earlier in their. Yeah, they played Toronto. Twice or three times, maybe even. I don't know. I'm maybe the wrong person asked this on the wrong night. <laughs> Either way, the wrong time of day. Email us for corrections on this. And <laughs> yeah, exactly. We, Correct. We won't mention. I just thought it was neat to throw it out there. That's all. So I guess that rolls perfectly into our mailbag. Once again, if you want to get in touch with us, you can email this show specifically at turnedoutapunkfootnotes at gmail.com. And we can open it up with a sort of correction or at least more of a clarification from another former guest, Billy Bilverstein Hamilton. Yes. Do you want to take this or you want me to roll on it? Uh, whichever, Chris. I've, I've rambled on enough for everyone. Okay. I'll take the first one. Yep, Billy wrote in. Uh, nice gentleman. Previous guest, as Damien mentioned. Um, but he highlights the SST and Sublime uh, connection that we discussed. I don't remember what episode that would have been, but uh, we did discuss this. Whenever we went over the SST catalog, I believe. I can't remember what. When I we think did it, was, that. it must have been Black Flag. Flag. Yeah, after the Flag episode, I suppose. But um, anyway, he notes here the reason the SST, the SST is credited on the Sublime record is because they cover Hope by the, by the Descendants uh, on one of their early records. And he also mentions uh, in regards to the Walter uh, Schreifels episode, um, that he was definitely screaming <laughs> when we didn't know that Walter had produced No Division by Hot Water Music. And he loved that we followed up with Hot Water Music fans everywhere are screaming right now. And uh, he clearly was one of them. You know but, what we're uh, going to yeah. do right now, Chris? <laughs> go to discogs.com. Thank you for this, Billy, because uh, yeah. you're leading us to another division. But we're going to go to Walter's production credits and look right. at these because it's a it is a smorgasbord it is a it is an interesting list that you know like shows that walter is probably one of the nicest guys in music <laughs> so what here production so how do i do this i don't normally do this so i just go to production all right yeah 21 21 uh entries yeah obviously the ones that most people are familiar with of course like the grill biscuit sieve stuff yeah, Hot Water Music, No Division. I was aware of that, which we sort of touched on in the episode. What is the – did he produce the Hot Water Music stuff on that Leatherface split, or did he do both bands? Uh, I think he did both bands. Yeah, that's wild. If so. But, the like, the other stuff. things that I find interesting on here is, like, uh, he did – he did um, – uh, where is it? It's way down here. Oh, maybe it's not here. He did a Killers remix. Yeah, it's, I don't see it's it. It's on his here. remix credits. Oh, he's got one. You're right. Somebody told me he did the Insider remix of the Killers' Mr. Brightside. Well, there you go. On the CD single. That's got to be an Island Records connection I hookup or something. Yeah, I would I, think. I want to hear that, though. <laughs> I definitely have not heard it either. You're right. <laughs> Curious to now, yeah. I know. Is it like where? There's a listing as well for White Zombie, the one. I don't understand what this is. No, but that's like, I think that's their song on two different soundtracks. 
Oh, that's right. Like, I think we was touched just... on this before. Yeah. Yeah, but I always thought the killers thing. Did that we bring that up before or no? I don't know about the killers thing, but I think I did that white zombie thing by accident last time. Yeah, the killers thing to me is the one that I find the most interesting thing. Actually, to be honest, there's not as many weird credits as I thought there would be. I think he's produced way more than this. Yeah, I, I, to me, it seems like there's things that I would have thought there'd be more. I mean, there's the stuff that you would expect. Uh, like that. Yeah, because I know stuff that's not here. Yeah, I can't think was. of anything, but I'm no, sure. Uh, Bucket Truck. He did their record. Oh, okay. Didn't he do a record for, uh, like, Alexis or something? Or no? Or Dallas? Not that I'm aware of. I don't know. I don't know. What do I know? But I'm sure he did the Bucket Truck record. But yeah, the bigger ones in recent years. Like, I was aware of the title fight stuff he did and, like, First Step. And what was the other one here? Beat Stakes. I don't know that one. Uh, Yeah. Oh, I know the beat stakes. Um, uh, I'm trying to find this bucket truck record. I'm sure he produced a bucket truck record, but maybe I'm totally wrong on this. I don't know. It's another one of these little uh, things. People know, email us. We will uh, make yeah, a correction yeah. or whatever. <laughs> Correct me on this. <laughs> Correct me on this. I could have sworn there was a much music episode. I even thought I talked to Matt Wells from the band about him. Anyway. Oh, there's like, yeah, there's definitely a song. Oh, it's on a live song featuring Walter Schreifels. Um, oh, the, he co-wrote a song with him. There you go. Maybe that's what you're thinking of. So he must have been in the studio with him to be co-writing a song. <laughs> I don't know. I love how anyway. adamant you are on this point. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know why. I don't know why, Chris. Hey, it's that kind of night. What am I doing to myself? That kind of night. That kind of night. Anyway, let's move on. All right. Next email. You take it. Okay. The subject is book recommendations, and this is from Jason C. Here are a couple of cool books in regards, I guess, to when we had the book discussion. Yeah. Uh, Rip It Up and Start Again, Post-Punk, 1978 to 1984. Yep. Fantastic book. Hardcore California, A History of Punk and New Wave. I don't know if I've read that. I have not read either of those two, but the, the uh, first one definitely sounds like something i would enjoy rip it up and start again yeah oh it's fantastic yeah it's great and then we got the power is awesome as well because it's a compilation of uh the fans and we got the power that dave markey did and, and some other stuff too in there as well cool it says hardcore punk scenes from 1980s southern california yeah cool but thanks for the suggestions we got a few book related things so we figured we'd just shout out a few of them on here for people that might be interested and yeah uh, all right. So next email. Next email. This one I want you to react to because this is more of your bag than mine. But uh, subject Midtown slash Millen split CD from Matt S. And uh, he says, hey, I thought you'd mention the split CD between those bands um, and the New Jersey pop punk band Midtown in specific. He thought... Uh, sorry, I'm reading this wrong. Uh, it was released in 2001 on Golf Records. I always thought Midtown had a similar sound to Millen and the fact they have a split is amusing to me. Are you guys familiar with this release? Take it, Damien. No. <laughs> no. Um, <laughs> I actually, Midtown's like one of those bands that I don't know enough about because there's so many people that are like, this band, you would love this band. And okay, I've never heard them. I thought you would. I thought you, this would have been one you knew. That's why I was, I thought they were I kind of... Uh, I set you up there, and it, it didn't go as well as I said. <laughs> I, like, I still love Millen Collins' records, and I still buy all their records and stuff, but I don't know. Like, this one, 
I wonder if that's like a rare thing because that band's like Midtown's huge, right? Like they're like one of those bands that you know put out one of those records like we were talking about last week. Like a in, in like a to me I just the name I've heard before I, I don't I, as far as I can recall I've never heard them. This is like another example of when people are going to be screaming at us. <laughs> This is just not entirely my world. I mean, I, I definitely like things adjacent, but I don't know this band specifically. Obviously, I know Mill and Colin, but uh, Midtown, I don't know this specific split. But 2001, this is a bit later for Mill and Colin. Yeah. Yeah. Well, they're not later. They're still going. They never stopped. Yeah, but I mean, like the, the sort of the stuff that I really remember that was like prominent was earlier than 2001. So. Well, I don't know. They, they, they have actually had like big songs. Like that's the thing about Mill and Colin that's. I've always like noticed too. It's like they're a band that I guess it's because they never stopped touring, you know, and they kind of built their and kept their audience. It's like we were in Australia with them, and it would be like insane the reaction people would have for them, or like you know, see them in Canada, and people have crazy reactions for them. You see them in like you know, uh, like in in Europe, and people have crazy reactions for them still. Yeah, I well, I think what it is for me maybe is because I saw them in '97 or '6. I can't remember '97. Yeah. I think. <clears throat> so I always think of that, whatever the hell that record was. I can't remember what it's called, but uh, that was sort of for me, I guess, the height of that band, as I recall. But yeah, you're probably right. I haven't really followed their career that closely. How how awesome is it that Midtown's first CD came out on Eyeball Records? Oh, there's a weird one we haven't mentioned before. <laughs> How did that one escape us and on the, the, the pop punk unearthing that you've done on this show? Uh, I don't know. Well, Eyeball Records is like a fascinating label. I, where are you seeing this, though? I don't see this. Click is on it their first the, Sacrifice first of Life EP. Oh, okay. Sorry. I'm looking at the LPs. Yeah. All right. And there's a different version. Gotcha. Yeah. And then you click on uh, yeah, Eyeball it. Records and you go to the discography, Chris. And then you get your fucking mind blown. It, this is a weird one too, because the the one that always makes me the most like amused is the uh, the the breakdown records. Well, like like I think the casualties, the breakdown, the Inhuman record, the Thursday record, <laughs> the H two O demo, which is a six seven inch. Yeah, I and hate God. I hate God. <laughs> Which is a strange. That's fucking crazy. Like, well, I don't know. Two thousands. The rule book went out the window. Yeah, and then stuff like My Chemical Romance. No, uh, what about a tribute to a negative approach? <laughs> that isn't the tribute well, to yeah. negative approach that was put out by Simon Harvey on Ugly Pop Records. Though I think we now have to do a side by side comparison of the two track listings. <laughs> <laughs> it's an interesting uh whatever selection there yeah yeah this is a strange i mean there's a lot of yeah this is definitely an early 2000s vibe here even that murder by death band i remember hearing about and they were like a big deal for a minute as far as i was aware yeah well this is like a weird this is like a this is like a crazy comp yo what about that band agnostic decision that's like an indecision agnostic front supergroup mashup I never, that does uh... nothing <laughs> i want to hear roger singing nothing or breakdown doing ready to fight i've never heard this comp i don't think i've heard either negative approach comp How? actually before he's do dead stop 
Wait, is that on Simon Harvey's one too? No, Voorhees do I'll Survive and Tied Down on Simon Harvey's comp. Yes, the Voorhees are the band that makes both comps. Oh, they did both. Yeah, wow. they both different songs, but they're on both comps. I can't find this comp on the uh, eyeball one. I'm being you can't? Honest. Look, it's well, tomorrow I... seems so hard. Oh, okay, there we go. Yeah, I did find it. Yeah, this is a strange... I've Although... heard Ensign do Tied Down. I think that was... On the Pusshead comp or something? Or... No, I think I saw them do it live. That's what I'm thinking of. It's funny that I've never... Yeah, this agnostic decision, that is funny. I've never heard that. That uh, the nothing. Imagine that. I know. Yo, there's some sick I've... stuff on here. <laughs> well, I think, like, an interesting one for me, although it's strange, is, like, that creep division... Again, it's like a weird, like, the, the selection is strange to me. I like Creep Division record. I'm going to, I go back to, and I'm like, this record is better. Like, at the time, I was kind of like, oh, I'm not into that record. But I'm like, that <laughs> record's sick. I agree, man. It's highly underrated, in my opinion. Um, but this comp, my God, is this an amazing comp? <laughs> Thursday does evacuate. Like, a comp that has, like, breakdown. And and Thursday doing negative approach covers on it. Yeah, it's uh he's on both. Very strange. Very, very strange to me. Yeah, I don't know who I'm gonna give the better comp to, because I haven't heard this other one yet. But there are some definitely some very interesting prospects on the eyeball records negative approach comp. I love the, the, the wormhole we just went under off of the Midtown Millencolin mention. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, well that's that's what happens on this show, unfortunately. You never know where we're gonna go. <laughs> it is true. But my god, eyeball records discography. I guess that my chemical romance is really where they made their money. And they're still putting out my chemical romance well, not anymore, I guess, but they were still putting out my Chemical Romance CDs into the 2000s. Yeah, and uh, it seems like. I don't know much about this label, like as far as who runs it or whatever, but it is interesting because I remember the name earlier and then seeing that they carried on as far as they did. Like, I wasn't aware that My Chemical, my chemical Romance, pardon me, was on this. I always heard that they did, I think they did, I always get them confused with another one of these types of bands where the first thing they did was on a, a bizarre like indie label, but clearly they did a whole bunch. I'm confusing them with another band. I don't know which one. Well, there's but... also that thing like they played a show. They played shows with American Nightmare too. Yeah, I gotta yeah, get that they... dude Frank about coming on the show. Well, there you go. Do it. That would be an interesting. Which they have some. They mind you, they were not on the Sega Approach Comp. That must have been just before their time on the label. <laughs> Can you imagine that cover? Oh, be an interesting cover. There's, there's already some interesting prospects on this compilation. Oh, yeah. <laughs> some amazing ones, too. Some interesting ones as well. Uh, all right, so I guess we should move on because I think we're going to have yeah. several more of these pulled up there. Yes. That's to be continued on the Battle of the, of the Negative Approach Comps. <laughs> Feel free to weigh in and email us if you'd like. Is it the West Coast over. Power Violence or or East Coast... I guess hardcore informed comp, or is it the New York hardcore? 
informed comment. <laughs> I don't even know. It's so say. strange. I don't know uh, how to characterize it. All right. Regular contributor and friend of the show, Dave Martin, has written in, answered my bat signal that went up in regards to the Afghan wigs. And uh, he says, now, as if t- uh, as to if they have any direct connections to punk and hardcore, I do not specifically know, but please allow me this very Damien Six Degrees of Plunk exploitation bit of reasoning. <laughs> Being from Cincinnati means they surely knew Pete... Weagle, a.k.a. Peter Aaron, who had been in Sand in the Face in New Jersey, and then Sluggo. Not sure if he's on any of the Sluggo records. I have that Sluggo 7-inch. I wonder if he's on. I guess that would have been before that, uh, before starting the Chrome Cranks. So right there, I'm sure they were aware. So that's what he goes. And he goes on to say that he does not know about any of the Afghan Whigs people actually having any prior bands. But he says that there is a much better Ohio band, the New Bomb Turks. And uh, that was <laughs> yeah. their first band. So maybe the Afghan Wigs were their first band. So, yeah, the New Bomb Turks, I agree. Dave were better. Um, yeah, I agree, too. That's kind of a not – I mean, I'm not trying to bag on Afghan Wigs here, but New Bomb Turks are one of the ones we enjoy highly. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And then well, he goes on to uh, talk about – uh, seeing them and then sent us in actually a poster for the listing for the foundry where he got to see them at. And it looks like there's some incredible stuff on this bill as well, Chris. Yeah, it's from 19. 19- it's attached as a November 88 calendar for the foundry, a short lived, very raw venue in the far reaches of the strip district neighborhood of Pittsburgh. Not named because that is where the strip clubs were located, but because it was a strip of land between the very steep hillside and the river. So a <laughs> literal strip district as opposed to the stripper district. Yeah. Uh, at the time, it wasn't a neighborhood. People went to much for anything. This is the same place that I saw the beat happening on the beat happening Girl Trouble tour. Uh, but this is an incredible array of music here from Cleveland hardcore legends um knife dance to knife dance and do you think that's special ed the rapper i don't know what data you're looking at here i'm I'm looking at the 18th on this flyer chris knife dance from cleveland with locals crowfly and special ed special ed's no he's from not from pittsburgh right but that would have been amazing if that was special ed I think it might be this special. I'm guessing like it's probably pre- just some sort of weird rock else, band that has to have the same but, kind of name. Oh man, would it be awesome but, though yeah. if it was a rapper playing with Knife Dance? But uh, and then also, you were saying the haters from Vancouver. <laughs> yeah, the thirteenth, the haters from Vancouver with locals, Powder French. I just thought it was neat because I wasn't aware. I mean, it doesn't surprise me to hear bands touring, but I was never aware of the haters playing like all the way out here but i suppose that's the case it was the uh the 80s and 90s that they were probably active the most so they probably did but it just kind of anytime a group like this tours i'm always sort of amazed and dave actually uh went to this show as well he says when he saw the afghan wigs and it also featured half-life which is kind of awesome and then also car sickness playing with prison shake and, yeah, there's some cool stuff on this. Well, anyway, we're going to post this on the Tumblr. 
if you want to check out any of the stuff we're talking about that you can't see right now, and you're like, why are they talking about <laughs> stuff I can't see right now? Uh, check out the Tumblr, turnedoutapunk.tumblr.com or the Facebook page. And that's where we're going to be posting all this stuff. Uh, so let's move on, Chris. All right, next email. Another Millen Colin footnote uh, from Josh. Uh, he says, uh, what's he say here? The footnote from Terry, Chris, what are you thinking that the used cover of Imagine is more listen-worthy than Alkaline Trio's cover of Holocaust? I sense no love for Alkaline Trio there. Uh, from from me, yes. I don't I don't have no love for Alkaline Trio, but I definitely Definitely, I'm not. I never got into them. Uh, either band, to be fair. Uh, anyway, just uh, harassing a bit. Uh, he's an Alkaline Trio head. Um, sorry for the huge sidetrack on Hopeless Record Discog Review, but one commentary uh, that I caught from this and would suggest a little more in-depth convo. You brought up D4, which I have also been a fan of since I first discovered comps way back. I know you brought them up uh Sorry, brought up them getting big, Damien, and them still being a great band that defined and molded what is the new modern pop punk today. Um, first point, what are you basing on them, quote-unquote, getting big on? So this is the question to you, Damien. Um, I, like, I don't think that I, – I don't know if, that, if that's what I said and it came across that way. I meant like they got big as they signed to Fat Records and became very popular in a circle outside of – the sort of like, you know, they, they just did like a lot of work to kind of like be out there in other scenes in a way, yeah. that, you know, and they got big in the sense they got popular. I don't mean in the, like a pejorative, like, Oh, they got big, like yeah. they sold out, like bands can get big, like Fugazi, that band's fucking huge. And, you know, apart from the music, they're beyond reproach. Yeah. Agreed. I, I think that's you what know? you were touching on too, but this person just basically goes to highlight the DIY aspects of the group, which we're both familiar with. And of course, yeah, absolutely. And they're like, you know, believe me, I have been in much communication with a certain member of D4. And when uh, it can be all done properly, they will come on this show for an episode that I will say will set the record. I'm, I'm, it's a bold statement for length, but it will set the record for length. (laughs) Cause I already know that I've got, got like two pages worth of questions before D4 even starts for them. (laughs) So his second point here uh, really quickly, he says that you refer to their sound as pop punk, which uh, he says here, I know is a bit of a bit of a divide in punk rock on being referred to as pop punk. I think it's, uh, I think it was back in the fat Mike interview that he was very adamant about them being a melodic hardcore punk band. I'm sure D4 shares that view as well. I would just like to hear your take on this and the varied opinions relating to that. Uh, I think you're pretty, I don't know. I think you say pop punk very broadly. I don't think you're, I don't think you're saying it as a slight at all. Of course. No. And I would say that they, you know, they were on mutant pop records. Like that is the definition of a pop punk label. So, you know, I don't think like, I don't, once again, it's not to put them down in any way. You know, I think if anything, they brought that genre up. To, yeah. to like a higher standard, you know, and I like, you know, I describe I, I, anything pop punk. I'm using more in the sense of popular punk than, you know, in the actual genre of pop punk, which some of the bands in the broad term pop punk genre fall into being popular punk, not pop punk. God, this is fucking yes. confusing. <laughs> uh, you know, like, it's like it's like and, and, and even then, like, you know, I'll use the term like epithet, which I'm sure. 
sounds like I'm reducing these bands to just like these two camps and stuff like that. But I think it was like a sound too at a certain point that like, and I don't mean this in a negative way because none of the, not like all these bands sounded the exact same, but it's just like, you know, in the same way that you describe a scene as being like Nardcore or you're like, that's power violence or, you know. Yeah. It's, it's just, an easy, it's just fun. It's an easy... Yeah. It's a descriptor that is, perhaps very broad or general, but it, it still applies. Yeah. I, I'm with you there. And I, and I find it fun to group bands together and it like to see, you know, sort of disparate bands kind of fit together because of like the sound or sonic connection between, between them and stuff like that. So, you know, and like pop punk, you know, it, it's, I don't, it, it's, it's such a, like that is a, a such a incredibly, Oh, <laughs> uh, Weird genre for me, you know, like <laughs> yeah. the actual like capital P pop punk, like defend pop punk, pop punk and stuff. Cause it's like, you know, I well, like it. Some of it. So in the, the last bit he mentions here is he says he had, he senses hesitation in our voices when these things come up. And is it perhaps cause we have a lack of acceptance because, uh, they, Every now and again, there's almost like a cookie cutterish aspect to that sound. I think, like for me speaking myself, I'm just not as big a fan of that style of even melodic, uh, whatever you want to say, punk, hardcore, whatever. But I would say this show has brought Damien out as being a lot bigger a fan of these things than I had anticipated. Oh least. God, I've never been so secretive I, about this at all. No, no, I don't. That's not what I'm saying. I just mean, though, for people that were not aware, I think it's just become very apparent. I think we talk about it at pretty, pretty sound length in a lot of episodes. Yeah, well, this is like I would like, you know, once again, being a huge fan of wrestling, you know, I would describe the pop punk era as being almost like the attitude era was for punk, you know, in the sense that that was like one of the great up flourishes in popularity. And that was like one of the great jumping on points for like an entire wave of kids you know, in, in that would make up the, like the next kind of waves of bands. And you see it now with like emo stuff too, like the early 2000s screamo emo scene. It's amazing how many people from that kind of like scene have gone on to become like, you know, hugely important people in, in hardcore and stuff like that. Like illustrated by one of the people on next week's show, even. Who's next week's show? I can't recall. Greg and Sardet, Sardet. Oh yes, yes, yes. Pardon me, Greg. Of course, when the uh, was nominated for a Juno when he was when he did the Moonin documentary, like yeah, that's right. Like that, that kind of like scene, and you know now is like, you know, him and Chardet put on like the most, I don't know, one of the coolest fests, the coolest fest in Toronto. Yeah, agreed. Uh, agreed. Yeah, no, well oh. said. I just thought those points were interesting based on what the. The email said yeah no i find it interesting too and i think there is a hesitation but i don't think it's like you know like some of that stuff i find you know kind of like not my thing at all but you know with a lot of it i love it you know and it's like a legitimate <laughs> love of it too you know there's like a uh you know like an awareness of of all of its you know all the baggage it entails but uh, you know I, I legit love a lot of that music yeah agreed I, I I don't like as much of it as you do, but I do the ones that I like, I really enjoy as well. And I am not ashamed to admit any of it. Yeah. And um, we all have our own, uh, we all have our yeah. own pop punks. 
<laughs> yes. <laughs> so the next uh, the next message, thanks Josh for that, is from Jason. Um, I don't. I think it's it's a long list of books, but I think we can just talk about the ones that are bolded here as this uh, list. Well, of then I I was actually going to say like some of these ones that are not bolded that I I haven't read, I find really interesting. Yes, you know? I agree too. Uh, I specifically, give me indie books. rock five hundred essential American underground rock albums by Andrew Earls. Uh, I've ordered three copies of that book and it's never come to my house. Really? <laughs> yeah, I ordered three copies when it came out and they've never showed up. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. The one but here. Uh, the he's one, one of the funniest people on earth. And that's how much, that's how funny I think he is. Even though I never got my books, I still back him a hundred percent. And in comedy, he is incredible. Like the Earls and Jensen, just far a laugh is one of the funniest it's like the only funny prank call thing I could imagine listening to in 2016. <laughs> There's very few that I could be like, you know, I'm not saying that about the jerky boys you know, yes. or, or crank yankers. <laughs> wow. What a choice there. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I can't, did we say this person's name? Jason W wrote in, he just uh, highlights a bunch of books. Yeah. You, you said, you said his name off the top. I did. Okay. I couldn't recall. Yeah. Um, but then also like, uh, I haven't read that no effects book, but everyone says it's like amazing and it, you have to read it. Going underground is that book that we talk about so much, but yep. we, you haven't read it, right? I haven't read it, but I own it. Yeah, that's correct. I gotta buy it. Gotta buy yeah. It. It's, it's cool. Uh, Girls to the front is fantastic. By Sarah Marcus, uh, Punk Rock and Oral History by John Robb is fantastic. John Robb, who comes up on this week's show, in fact, and wrote a bio for Fucked Up. Um, Crate Digger and Obsession with Punk Records by Bob Surin. I have to buy this fucking book. I was looking <laughs> for it when it came out. I was like in a store and they didn't have it yet. And then I forgot to buy it since then. That's a problem with like, you know, life now. I remember when the Germs book came out. And that's not even that long ago. It's like a long time ago. I guess in the grand scheme of things, 10 years ago or yeah. like probably more like 15 years ago now or whatever. But like, I was obsessed with that book for months, but now there's like so many punk books and so much stuff coming out. You're just like, Oh wow. I forgot about that. So yes, I have to go out and buy that Bob Surin book, Bob Surin from failure face and burrito records, put it on H 107 inch, ran a great record store. I think probably still does, but Oh my gosh. <laughs> I'm, 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 I'm ordering this book as we talk right now, Chris. Nice. Well, you're, oh, you're doing a really good job with this email. I didn't know how this would go off. I'm writing a post-it note to remind myself to order it later, which you're I'll probably do. Yeah. But anyway, uh, underground subterranean culture of DIY punk shows. Uh, I do not know this one. I don't think I've read this book. That one is not familiar to me either. By Daniel McKagan. Yeah. Uh, and uh, This Ain't the Summer of Love, Conflict and Crossover in Heavy Metal and Hardcore by Steve Waxman. That sounds awesome, too. Haven't read it. Uh, Fresh at 20, The Oral yeah. History of Mint Records by Caitlin Fontana. I've read that. How to Ruin a Record Label, The Story of Lookout Records by Larry Livermore. i got to read that book. Yeah, I haven't read it either. I've seen a lot of people posting or doing things Yeah, about people said they could read it in one sitting. It, it was yeah. so awesome. But, uh uh, Britain Burning, The History of UK Punk, 1980-1984, by Ian Glasper. Um, the music uh, leaves stain. Oh, actually, have you read Britain Burning? I've not. 
It's uh, Ian Gla- Glasper has done a series of books on British punk that has been put out by Cherry Red Books, and they're kind of chronolog they're chronologically going through and just kind of going after different periods of UK hardcore. Yeah, and they're up to like the mid '90s now, late '90s, I think. Okay. And it is fantastic. It is so, it's just like little capsules about each band, but it has like Andy Capper's old hardcore band in it, dead wrong. It's got like, you know, Voorhees stuff in it. You can, you can trace the lineage in UK hardcore kind of all the way through with some of these bands. Yeah. Cool. So Um, 84 would be, do you have this one? I have 84. Yeah. That's like, I guess it's like the, yeah. yeah, And it's like the kind of the push towards like the grindcore type stuff too and some of those bands like the early grindcore stuff yeah um anyway this music leaves stains the complete history of the misfits uh by james green jr chris's favorite book of all time <laughs> and uh have you read that chris <laughs> i have not read it no nor do i have any interest in reading it frankly <laughs> i accept that it because you're gonna write your own and you're like well i don't want to be tainted by someone else's <laughs> opinion about this band so i understand chris yeah true song by song uh, Choosing yep. Death, The Improbable History of Death Metal and Grindcore by Albert um, Merdian. Uh, yeah, this book's fantastic. There's another book, too, that came around the same time about heavy metal that I also would recommend reading. And I'm trying to remember what that's called. Um, and it has an amazing chapter about Avenged Sevenfold at the end. When I say amazing, not in a necessarily way that makes you love the band. <laughs> oh, wow. Uh scandalous sensationalized well maybe for me maybe it's just me and my sensibilities maybe i'm I'm, that's the thing i'm not metal (laughs) you are not i agree with that no wholeheartedly no (laughs) somewhat proudly i'd say you know i think that some punks carry that carry that with pride yeah Yeah. you you've just never been the metal guy that i've been aware of no no i like i like you know I don't like, I don't know metal, but I know what I like is kind of my, my <laughs> feeling on it. You know, slaughter, um, blasphemy, <laughs> s- sacrifice. Uh, what know. else? Not much, Chris. Possessed? Possessed, yeah, like possessed. Uh, anything from Switzerland, uh, <laughs> I find. Uh, Either way, this book list. Anyway, let's move on. Uh, SNFU. Uh, by Chris Walter. I have not read that one, but I would, I should definitely read that. I can't believe I have Yeah. Likewise, we love this band, even though people think we don't love this band. For I am like, you know what? Like, there's some shit in here where I'm like, oh my God. And it goes on. Like, this is amazing uh, for, you know, and thank you for sending this in, Jason. But it's like some of these bands are like, they've got a book. Yeah. That's what I've thought to myself numerous times as you're reading this list. But yeah. uh, that's enough. You one makes sense, although I, for whatever reason I wasn't aware it existed. But I would love to read it. Uh, I, the MDC one, yeah, I wasn't aware that there was one for that either. Yeah, by Dave Dichter. So it's like, uh, oh, he wrote himself. Okay, yeah, yeah. Well. And that would be uh, a cr- like an unbelievable story. I remember reading in his column in Max Rock and Roll after MDC did that tour where they played with like the BFGs and like. In the when they played like Southern Ontario, do you remember that in the like mid '90s, early '90s, Chris? Yeah, I've heard tell of it, but I don't. I was never there. He wrote. Anyway, wrote back, like went back and wrote a column in Maximum Rock and Roll that was like all about smoking crack above the embassy in London. Oh, so that venue has always had. I don't mean the London England embassy. I mean the embassy. London Ontario. Yeah. I mean the London Ontario embassy. Yeah. And believe me, 
If there's any dignitaries there, they're probably going to be there smoking crack. <laughs> uh, but I remember, and it was just like, that was my first impression of that venue. So when I started going there like a year or two later, I was like, oh, wow, this is a, this is a heady venue. Yeah, it is. It does have a heaviness to it. I yeah. Did. I don't know if it still exists, actually. I don't, maybe it does. I don't know. But uh, yeah, it did have a heaviness for sure. Was that where the whip it was? I've, I'm not mistaken. It was connected. I believe that's the embassy. I could yeah. be wrong. Yeah, that that that. Yeah, that's a heavy venue then. Yeah. Uh, Spitboy, the Spitboy Rule, by Michelle Cruz Gonzalez, and I. I want to read this book because Spitboy is another band that I would love to know more about. Uh, Everybody loves our town. An oral history of grunge by Mark Yarm. I love that book. I fucking love that book. I've also not read that, but that definitely sounds up my alley too. I wasn't aware he was a writer either. Uh, at all. No, that's not Mark Arm. That's Mark Yarm. Oh, never mind. Great. <laughs> <laughs> it's weird. And I was like, oh, wow, that's great. Uh, you, uh, Sub Pop USA, the Subterranean Pop Music Anthology, 1980 1988 by Bruce Pavitt. It's a collection of the zines. Um, I could have sworn that was being ordered for me for my birthday, and my birthday's coming up, so maybe <laughs> I'll get it. Uh, nice. everybody's seen the story of Connecticut's anthrax club by Chris Daly. Uh, I, that's a great book. Um, dance of days, two decades of punk in the nation's capital by Mark Anderson and Mark Jenkins. Uh, and, uh, yeah, that's that like a half is that is an amazing book. The which one? Sorry. <laughs> the dance of days. Do you remember that thing where it was like, yeah, I only read the first half. Didn't even bother reading the second half. That's about the DC yeah. thing, I'm guessing. Yeah, I, I've heard that opinion, but I've not I've not read it myself, no. The whole book's amazing, and I've subsequently read the second half, but <laughs> <laughs> I did not read it back then. Uh, so post-2006, Damien read the second half of the book? Yeah, post-2006, Damien read, has read the second half of the book. And, you know, still not a fan of all the music. <laughs> but definitely respects the second half of the book. I like that you doubled down on it still, but go. <laughs> I can't. I'd be lying otherwise, Chris. I'd be straight up lying to everyone. It's true. Uh, the Whaling Town, A Whaling Town, Oral History of San Pedro Punk uh, by Craig Ibrea. I have not read this either. And no, don't know that one. Probably some awesome stuff in that. Uh, All Ages, The Rise and Fall of Portland Punk, 1975 to 1981. Uh yeah, that has got to be awesome. Yeah. 77 to 81, but yeah. What did I say, 97? 87? 75. Oh, 75. I guess I was just putting in a couple of years for proto-punk. <laughs> I was thinking, like, how can I let Beauregard be in this? The Beauregard <laughs> LP, which features a young uh, Greg Sage from the Wipers. Actually, oh, two members cool. of the Wipers on that record. Cool. Uh, and then... Uh, Let's break the walls. The Black Flag story by Stevie Chick. Have you read that book? I have not. It's okay. I've not, not read many of these books, as it turns out. It's okay. It's missing a couple voices. Oh, okay. You know, like that's the problem with the Black Flag book is you're never going to get all parties to be involved. So unless it's someone's memoir, it's always going to feel like I think it's lacking some other voices. Yeah. Anyway, uh, yeah, phew, and that was, yeah. that's it, um, uh, yeah, I, great, I'm trying to think of some other ones that I, I know from that, apart from that metal book that I mentioned, uh, anything that's, like, reprinted of old zines, I love, love yeah. it, 
And then uh, Fucked Up and Photocopied, which I believe uh, Stuart Schrader in Game of the Arseholds uh, said it was like the best book for punk ever. And I'm kind of inclined to agree. <laughs> it's pretty awesome to re- like listen to records or like now in 2016, go through, a, go through Spotify and just see what's on there. <laughs> nice. But thank you for the email. That was a beast and very good, full of uh, great uh, recommendations, all of which, well, some of which I definitely need to get on quickly, but I don't think I probably will, sadly, because um, yeah. that is my life as it turns out lately. Um, what's the next one here? Uh, Michael S writes in, uh, subject eighties, Italian hardcore. Um, he's talking about, um, just mentions the talking heads for album thing from a, whatever last episode, episode before, but uh, he's asking if we're familiar with a band called illegal ideas. You found a 10 inch from them today. He writes and looks like eighties hardcore from Italy post EU's arse. And here's a discogs link. I don't know if you looked at it there. Yeah, I just clicked on it now. I, I've, I've seen this 10-inch before, and I'm just listening to it. Pretty fucking raging. So you own it? or you? No, to no, it no, no. I'm just looking at it now. Oh. Um, but uh, EU's arse is incredible, obviously, and like, and has cer- certainly become one of the more sought-after records, uh, that first 7-inch from 82. And so it, it says it was released in 1997. So is it earlier or is it that year? He doesn't mention No, no, that, I'm saying he? the uh, the first 7-inch by by uh Eusars. Eusars, gotcha. Sorry, I was yeah. Um So this is like a later group of that same the members of that band? Yeah, like the Eusars went on till uh, I guess they only went on till the mid 80s. I thought they went like way later than that. Um but anyway, they break up and then I guess this is like the band that kind of takes afterwards but this didn't come out till later yeah this is like 97 yeah i don't know when it was i'm assuming it was around that it was recorded but um but yeah cool i haven't i haven't heard it to hear but you've checked it out it's got a weird cover yeah it's it's got a weird cover and it's definitely (laughs) you know i think that's the problem with like any any of these records that came out in the mid you know like you know the the mid 90s and it was like an older recording. They're kind of like now lost a little bit. Yeah. In this era. Like so much stuff has been rediscovered in recent years that they, these are older ones are kind of like, I don't know, at least for me, forgotten about. And then you find something like this and it's like, oh, this is fucking sick. Yeah, cool. I have not heard this, so I can't comment. He was curious of our thoughts on it, but I'll check it out. Um, but you said it was raging. So yeah, the raging cool. is this. Is that art that pixelated or is that just a bad scan? I think it's just like a terrible scan. Yeah, it's okay. on Discogs. For people that don't, yeah, it's the, so the band is Illegal Ideas, and the album, I don't know how to pronounce this, it's something in Italian, I believe. Yeah, we should all try this for a little bit. <laughs> Quando La Musica Mor- Moria? I don't know. I'm bad with it. I think, I think you got it pretty good. Yeah. I think I did okay for a, a terrible pronunciation, but um, but yeah, if you want to check it out, 10-inch, ooh, not my favorite format of record, gotta say. Yeah, there's some great ones, but it's definitely not a perfect format. <laughs> yes, agreed. That's very diplomatic of you. Integrity 10-inch. No, agreed. Uh, uh, yeah, that's that's perfect record. That's the first one everyone goes to. Yeah, there's yeah. some, but yeah, by and large, it's just a, it's frustrating to file. 
for people with a lot of records. Yeah, definitely frustrating fo- file. The other guys, 10 inches, pretty good. Yeah, there's some other, there's some, there's some cool 10 inches. But you're right, it is like the the worst format. I remember when Mike interviewed our war. That was our first question. <laughs> Why a 10 inch? <laughs> yeah, it's like the worst format. Why a 10 inch? <laughs> Yeah, that is an interesting point because it is bizarre now that that is on 10 inch of all the, the things. It was the only format a certain member had not released a record on. So that's why they. Ah, that was the. Okay. I gotcha. That was the, strange. That was the gimmick. Great 10 inch, nonetheless. Oh, yeah. I love that record. Likewise. I love the record, even though it's about killing me now. <laughs> <laughs> I'm still safe. Yeah, well, you know, to be fair, though. Not many of the band members are. <laughs> Fair <laughs> enough. All right. This next email. Multiple lead singers. You're up, my friend. Okay. Multiple lead singers. I 100% agree with me. Uh, this is from <laughs> Jeff M. Saying that he yeah. 100% agrees with me on Lee Renato possibly being the best singer of Sonic Youth. A few years ago, that he, he said he made a playlist and, and with just his songs on it. And it was a beautiful thing. And they said Moat probably sent me off on that path. As far as bands with uh, multiple non-simultaneous leads, like Black Flag or Black Sabbath, I can't think of any punk bands that I count. I never got behind post-Danzig Misfits, post-Jello Dead Candies, or Shane West and the Germs. But maybe I'm too close-minded. I would no, it's s- not being close-minded. Anyway, go on. No, but I would say that but like we're bringing up an interesting one, uh, Dag Nasty. Well, I think we mentioned it. We were discussing. Did we discuss that we one last time? Well, I thought I thought we did, but I, I maybe we were right because now it's all coming back to me. I think um, we did because uh, there was another the... one I was trying to think of too when we we're when I was reading this email. Uh, yeah, that's but I think the happen. point is he's talking about discounting sort of the later incarnations. I don't know. I think there's some bands accused. That... Accused. That was the one I was thinking of. Accused. Okay. Yeah, because there's some bands, I don't know, that I suppose could get away with it, but it is very odd. I, it tends to not work for me, personally. The Accused had a different singer on the first record with the Rejectors, but, like, you know, everyone kind of, that's Blaine on yeah. vocals in that band. So, yeah, and then you have exactly, like, situations like that where it's like a, you know, it's like a footnote, you know, pun intended version or something. I think if you put out a record, though, it counts. Like that's my yeah. way. Like if a band, if you toured or recorded with a band, then you counted as you were a member of that band, or at least yeah. a part of that band. Yeah, totally. But I still think, like, say a band releases like whatever the first single or something with a different singer, then everything else isn't. I mean, it's kind of a weird. Like, I guess you Keith know, Morris. Just, yeah, exactly. But I mean, like, you know, how many people think of him as the primary only singer of Black Flag, right? So it's it always. I don't know. It depends. I guess. Well, I think what started, right? We were talking about how in 2016, for some people, Keith Morris has become like almost the protest vote as being the definitive singer of Black Flag. I wouldn't, maybe not in 2016. It was definitely that way in 2006. (laughs) Yes, agreed. I I agree. Yeah. And so I'm not, I'm more of the mind of people like that, I suppose. But yeah, it's still weird to not acknowledge some of the ones who lasted much longer or had perhaps a greater impact. Yeah, I don't know. It's it's a weird debate. I, I just find like I'm with this listener in the in the sense that I discount sort of the later stuff where it's clearly, um, 
you know, the, the sort of, I don't know what you want to say, the, the vibe of the band or something is completely different when they lose whatever kind of personality was the at the front of it up until that point. Yeah, unless it's like someone that sounds note perfect like the other singer. Yeah, or that. That's also strange to me too, though. Yeah, that's but it's just clearly like such like a, a like you know like a copying style. It just seems very odd to me. Uh, yeah, no, it definitely is odd. But but uh, you know, like if you if you can if you can nail it, like Michael Graves on that first Misfits tour, <laughs> it's sick. Uh, no comment. Okay. Did you see Michael Graves on the first Misfits tour? That was like I've was, never seen the Misfits. Oh, he was killer. It was pretty good. I'm not, I'm not saying Are you it was... saying that just because he's like he loves wrestling? No, and that's more Jerry only. I thought he was a wrestling guy too. I thought he like did a thing in wrestling. Or I guess they all did. Jerry right? only that... did. Jerry no, only famously whole... did. And then there's a story about backstage, uh, Doctor Death Steve Williams was peeing at the urinal, <laughs> and Jerry came up and said, "Hey man, I just wanted to shake your hand and say hello." And Steve <laughs> Williams like looked at him and was just like mortified. <laughs> and then they wrestled, and apparently you can watch the match on YouTube and see what happened. And it's it's a little a little harsh. Okay, I thought they actually played though, like that era of Misfits. Didn't they play on on wrestling? Well, they were stuff? coming out all the time with Vampiro. Okay, that's like, Vampiro was. was just like bringing the Misfits out, and like I asked Conan if you read. Uh, I did an interview with Conan that's on Vice, uh, like the wrestler Conan. Yep. Um, where he talks about all just the weird music interactions that he had while at WCW. Like Kiss, like Insane Clown Posse, Master P, like, and then, and then of course, the Misfits. Huh. Yeah, cool. Um, but anyway, that is a plug for something that I will not get paid any money if you go and click on. So that, do it for you, for the love of it. It's <laughs> <laughs> the primary factor, motivating factor. Whoa! Yeah. Uh, what did you find? Whoa! This is uh, I'm I'm just moving on to the next part of this email. So let's move on to the next part of the email. Yeah, go ahead. Can dive you can take it. Yeah. Uh, so outside of the punk, there are a bunch too many to list. The one that I'll bring up is Allison Chains. I'm shocked at how good William Duvall is and how good the Post Lane albums are. Ha ha! Uh, and uh, he thinks that Joe Rogan once said that guy can sing every Allison Chains songs and it gives me chills except down in a hole. Um, but, uh, but that, that is, I wonder if Joe Rogan has any punk connections, but that's another conversation for another day. <laughs> um, but let's move on to the William Duvall punk connections. Cause William Duvall, he's got a heavy punk connection. This was your, yeah, this is the one you really wanted to get to earlier. So well, I've like, I, I th- always thought it was awesome that here's this guy who comes, he's like at right now, like, yeah, like one of the better rock vocalists in my opinion out there. You know, yet before that, he played guitar in Neon Christ, one of the <laughs> best Atlanta hardcore bands ever. Which is strange. Like, how did the? Because again, I'm not I'm not an Allison Chains fan either. But I don't like. How was he of all the people out there selected to be the singer of that band? Like, do you know anything about that? Like, I don't. How did that connection come about? I have no idea. Like. Yeah. Uh, like he he wrote the words for the record. What do you mean, like the newest Allison Chains things? No, no, he wrote like the Neon Christ songs. Like he oh, was a guitar oh. player, but he was like writing it too. Oh. Um, like he gets like the writing credit on that actual seven inch. Gotcha. Um, I finally got a copy of that seven inch. It took me like that's one of those records that like 
I regretted not buying on eBay way back when. And and even flaked on paying for a bootleg one time on eBay. <laughs> but anyway, finally tracked it down. You're talking about the parental suppression? <laughs> yeah, parental suppression, the first Neon Christ 7-inch. And there's a bootleg, a 7-inch two times, which is like two records on it. Gotcha. From 1984 on Social Crisis Records, yeah. But uh, so you finally scored this, okay, cool. But that's not why I brought it up. But I think it's just like one of those records <laughs> to me. I like, and then also he played in, uh, uh, you know, Blast. And I think that's is it just on that one Blast recording that Dave Grohl kind of remixed. I don't know. I'm trying to find his uh, which one? Oh, William. Yeah, I'm trying to find his little repertoire here. See on instruments or oh you said he put yeah um, yeah if you click under it it's he uh, was under a pseudonym back then if you click under his alias of Kip that's where okay. you find his Neon Christ run well under his own name is only the later blast thing I believe yeah it's blast blood but the um, I don't know the pseudonym I didn't look that up but oh and he wrote uh, poison on it's in my blood huh. So either way, I just think it's an interesting... Yeah, that's where he's credited as Dr. Twang. Huh. It's just a weird, like, you know, I wonder where that connection came about because it just seems such a strange fit for me, from someone who has a background doing that to to Alice in Chains, who I don't, I mean, personally speaking, I don't really... I've never really felt they were, like, punk, rude-centric at all or rooted. I realized kind of the scene they came out of, but it's never really... They've never really struck me as that kind of a band. Yeah, like it must have been from this, you know, Come With The Fall band. Because then he does this, he's on this Black To Calm record too. Hmm. Uh, where, are you, are you click, have you clicked on this Black To Calm? No, I'm looking like, thing? I see that Come To Fall. The it's Primal the... Scream with, and then it's the MC5. Oh yeah, yeah, I saw the listing. Uh, what is this fucking what is this thing it is from 2011 it is what the hell yeah this is weird like look at this track listing <laughs> is it a, what is, a show what is primal scream and mc5 i don't understand what how is that what is this yeah this is weird it's on a label called easy action out of the uk Oh, here it is. It's uh, recorded at the Royal Festival Hall, South Bank, London, at the 2008 Meltdown Festival. Okay, well, there we go. Question uh, answered. But that is a crazy... Oh, it came out on LP, too. So what is he on on this? Uh, I guess he must be in one of these bands. Was he in Primal Scream or something? Not that I'm aware of, but weird, if so. Either way... Where's his uh, credit? Does he maybe write something on here? <laughs> oh, man. We went down another wormhole. It's been a, quite the struggle tonight. <laughs> it is. No, he performed with... Uh, he get, he's a performer credit. Oh, okay. Well, he was a hired gun for one of these things. I don't yeah. know. Yeah, with Adam Pearson from Sisters of Mercy. Wow. It's yep. another strange uh, connection. Yeah, so uh, he is someone that I would. He's like one of my number one people I want to interview for this thing. The the fellow we're talking about, William Duvall, the guy. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Like it's just like what 
you know, like what a, what an amazing legacy to have, like where you were in, like you had like a killer record, like one of the, one of the, in my opinion, one of the great kind of like, you know, obscure mid eighties American hardcore records. Certainly one of the best hardcore records that I know of from Atlanta ever. Uh, and then has this like kind of a like weird, historically obscured kind of like run in blast where he's never really given proper credit for that one song he writes, except for Dr. Twang. And then he shows up in Alice in Chains all these years later. <laughs> yeah. And everyone knows him from that. Apparently and everyone email. knows him from that. Yeah. What a run. Yeah. So that email from Jeff much appreciated. And, uh, it allowed Damien to, uh, Go on a little tirade about Diana. <laughs> what was it? Sorry. Go uh, on a tirade about uh, Neon Christ. Pardon me. Well, have you uh, heard Neon Christ? I don't know this record. No. Oh, it's sick. You should check it. Cool. But yeah, what do we got next? Can you hear uh, it right now, or, or is it just me and my headphones? It's just you, buddy. <laughs> this this next email is a. Uh, it's not controversial in a truly controversial sense. I just, Damien and I don't, or at least I don't, I don't know if this is correct. So there's some uh, debate amongst yeah, the two, uh, the two, um, members of this, the broadcast team. <laughs> yes. So the subject is footnote 92, which was last episode. Uh, it's from Eamon R. Um, it's from Utah. He says, just a fun fact about Avenged Sevenfold, who we mentioned uh, last week, I guess, in some capacity. But on the whole Hopeless Records thing, oh, that's right, that's where we were talking about it. Um, you asked if they had a hardcore connection, uh, and Justin, he claims, this listener claims, and Justin Sane from Anti-Flag was their first bassist. Not really hardcore, but either way, thanks. So, I don't know if that's accurate. I'm not trying to uh, called this person out, but I, that doesn't seem to be that that would be the case. Well, we got to turn. Yeah. We got to turn to, uh, to <laughs> Google. Damien's on the case. Yeah. The internet's so, on the case. Yeah. Justin saying Avenge seven hold. It's like a suggested link. What? It was like, uh, what I'm trying to think. Justin saying, I love how we didn't do this before we read the email, which clearly would have been the most. Oh, not to be confused with the former bass player of of American metal band of Edge Sevenfold. Oh, so there's two Justin there's Saints. Two Justin Saints. Ah, okay. So this person, I believe, has confused the this one for the anti-flag member. Yeah, I just thought that was strange because it, geographically it didn't really make sense. And uh, yeah, so, and- I just wanted it to be true. I was just like hoping it would be like, oh, that would be insane if that was true. Yes. It was another one of these weird things we thought we were going to unfold about a a weird, like, obscure tidbit in in contemporary music. But uh, anyway, it turns out to be a a confusing thing. So anyway, uh, we figured that out as Damien is that good on Google that quickly. (laughs) Yeah. They call me the Google kid. (laughs) This last message, um, I don't know if you want to take it or you want me uh, random comments and questions from Michael P. Uh, okay. uh, can you just do me a favor? Are What's you that? on the Avengers? Can you go to the Avenged Sevenfold Wikipedia, please? Uh, I suppose, yeah. <laughs> so and then the reason why you want me to go there. And then click on the the link for the guy named Johnny Christ. Yeah. 
He's like the bass player in the band. Yes, I'm aware of this. Yeah. Okay, click on that, and you'll see like he's got like a denim vest in the third photo down. Um, the second, yeah, okay. What a random assortment of patches. patches. <laughs> Ghostbusters, the Beatles, a Shamrock, the Crimson Pantera. Ghost, Pantera, Pantera. Of course, the Misfits. <laughs> like what? Uh, yeah. yeah, let's take that whole row of patches. Just throw them on a jacket, please. It's, uh, yeah, it's, uh, well, you know, things happen, I guess, sometimes. <laughs> but, yeah. It's weird. It's so random. Yes. Another wormhole, which you should ask if you want stories regarding these individuals, or at least, like, touring with them. Uh, the next uh, people that you interview uh, from Alexis, you should talk at length about. I'm sure they have funny little anecdotes. I'm sure. I'm sure they yes. have like many long conversations about Pantera, the Misfits, the Beatles, <laughs> 80s movies, or uh, symbols of luck around the world. <laughs> okay. <laughs> oh, regarding that, this, this next email, let's try and tackle. It's the final one. So All right. Now we can it. finally get into the episode, an hour yeah. and 15 minutes into it. Yeah, exactly. Fuck, I'm out of tea, Chris. God damn it. <laughs> This person, Michael P., says they discovered the podcast somewhat recently, so they're sort of cherry-picking episodes. Um, He highlighted the Casey Watson episode. He was hoping for more of our thoughts relating to emo, screamo, uh, scrams. I don't even know what that is. Uh, And whatever, when Orchid was brought up, perhaps glossing over that means you guys weren't really into that stuff, question mark. What about Union of Uranus, One-Eyed God Prophecy, two bands that could be considered influential on that style? Damien, okay. what are your thoughts? First of all, uh, Union of Uranus is yes. fucking sick. Agreed. I like them too. Yes. Uh, stand by that band. Like, and it's great because there was that Yannick did a CD of discography a couple years ago, like, like 10 years ago, 12 years ago. And <laughs> I, that was kind of like the first time I'd ever gone and sat and listened to like a bunch of stuff other than just seven inches. And I'm like, this band is so good. Yeah, I agree. I think it's terrible more, name. <laughs> I think perhaps it's a bit of the name, but I think it's also just like it was the time period. Like it, it's I don't know, but that compilation you're talking about, I believe, is the um, from 2004. Yeah, the American Great American Stake Religion and Stonehenge record. Yeah, it's amazing that he brought back the name Great American Stake Religion to release it because <laughs> by that point he was already doing. Uh, Feral, Feral Ward. Ward. Yeah. yeah, so it's like, it's awesome that you just like, dust off Great American Stake Religion one more time. Yeah, it's called To This Bearer of Truth for anyone interested. But yeah, great band, uh, of course. Uh, anything related to that, I kind of tend to like. His Hero's Gone, all that sort of stuff. Yeah, I like that stuff too. Like, I love Reversal of Man. I like, yeah. like you know, I like Orchid. Uh, I actually missed out on the first time. I got to be real, and I wasn't until I became until uh, I got to meet some of the people that were in that band. I'm like, oh shit, I got to go back and listen to this band. But I remember like Liam for the Cancer Bats, always rocking an Orchid patch. Well, I remember like you met the Orchid people when they were in Panthers, right? I yeah, think? yeah, yeah. So Panthers first stuff I, I dug too. Orchid I liked okay. Uh, the the only thing that I really dug like the most that they did was that. Uh, Ironically enough, the 10-inch on Ebolition, 
Uh, that's another band that put out like a, a, like a seminal 10 inch them in reversal man did another 10-inch yes show. yeah but uh, it's dance tonight revolution tomorrow is decent um i don't remember i remember being particularly underwhelmed with the, the last self-titled thing which i think was the final thing they ever did um and of course i think a lot of people seen chaos as me i mean if they're they were a decent band i never was huge on them but i did like that 10 inch who was huge? Like uh, Liam was definitely big on him. Was anyone in Alexis big on him? Uh, I'm sure George liked them fine. I I don't. It wasn't like it's weird that a lot of these bands were not really like touted amongst the people that I knew. So I I don't know. I don't really know who was huge on them. But um, like I said, that 10 inch is good. I still own it. Um, yeah, it's they're a decent band. But I don't know if like the emails like. We like that stuff fine, at least speaking for myself. I just, you know, it's not it's not my, like, bread and butter, but I definitely have no issue with it. So, uh, yeah. Yeah, like, I, I, I love that stuff, and it's, yeah, but I wouldn't say it's my bread and butter either. I love Coleman. Yeah. I go back to that Coleman record. I don't know if that falls in that category, but. I don't know that one. Oh, uh, Coleman was this uh, group, and the singer was, if like, this is all you know, once again, 90 stories. So this might not be actually <laughs> real in 2016 when you can actually find out, uh, you know, but they did a, they, she was the lead singer of the group was given a diagnosis of cancer and given a certain amount of time that she was going to have left. And so she just would smash herself up on stage like crazy. Wow. Um, and then it was a misdiagnosis. Ooh. That's heavy. Yeah. And now this could all be wrong. And so I should say allegedly. Yeah, that's wild. I'm yeah. not aware of that either. Yeah. Um, um, sort of moving on via the email, at least. Um, he also mentions uh, that we sort of glossed over post-unbroken bands. He mentions Over My Dead Body, um, Some Girls, Narrows. Uh, and those are the three he highlighted there. Over My Dead Body I never got into. Uh, I'm familiar with. But um, I prefer Unbroken, of course. Um, but again, Unbroken wasn't hugely my thing either, but definitely a lot of people's. Yeah, um, look, I think if you're in Toronto, you, you kind of had to like Unbroken uh, at the jump because Chris Callahan had the tattoo. <laughs> that was like standard like issue. You're like, okay, yeah, life, love, regret. Got it. Got to get that record. <laughs> I do, I do like it though. Like Unbroken's fine; they were just not my favorite thing. But yeah, definitely had some neat stuff. Uh, some girls, again, decent. I think was Unbroken stuff from the get-go with that band, or was it a later lineup? Uh, I I think it was right from the get-go, right? Yeah, I don't remember. But the first two Some Girls Seven Inches are excellent, in my opinion. Uh, I never really got heavily into the later stuff, but I'm fine with that band. I just never followed them closely. But when those first two, I think it's like the Reigns and I can't remember what the other one's called. But uh, yeah, decent band. I, I like, you know, that whole kind of like uh, the one band, ironically enough, he didn't bring up related to some girls is American Nightmare. I have no beef with like any of that stuff. So, yeah, that's fine by me. No, you don't, Chris, because I remember one of the happiest days of your life. When's that? When we got, was it the American Nightmare record? You got a crazy American right, American Nightmare record from Dave Strike Anywhere that day. I right? did not, but I did get something related to what comes up later in this email. That's what you're talking about. Okay, maybe that's what I'm talking about. Yeah, and Narrows, I don't know. You met, you knew this. I don't know Narrows. 
Yeah, narrows are, are cool. Man. I I thought um, for a second I thought we'd play with them, but we didn't. But I I do I do I do dig their record fine. Um, you know, like once again when I say that, I'm, it sounds like I'm just being like ah oh, dismissive and anything. <laughs> but like, <laughs> you know, narrows is, is awesome, uh, and and stuff like that. Like it's just so weird when you're like yeah, like a band that you like like, but you're just like not. Seems like I always gush on this show, and then when I stop gushing, people, everyone's like, "Uh." <laughs> no, and I'm like, "No, it's just like I'm not like you know, yeah. I'm not like talking about like you know the H100, so I'm not like losing my mind." <laughs> Fair enough. I think that's well said. Yeah, I get you. Uh, um, I did find the Coleman uh, entry on Discogs, but it makes right. no reference of of what I brought up. <laughs> I think it was the singer Jackie. Gotcha. Uh, then he brings up other groups, uh, notably uh, John Westbrook, Todd Jones, Cora Williams, who are all in Carry On, which is the record I did get from the person you That's just That's right. That, it was a Carry On thing. Then um, I do like Carry On, yes. Uh, and he mentions Internal Affairs, of course, one of the later post-Carry On bands. I was cool with uh, Internal Affairs. Um, but Knife Fight is the one he brings up. And that is the one I think you and I would mutually agree is definitely the cream of the crop as far as that stuff is concerned. Yeah, Burning Bridges is probably my favorite record the year it came out. Agreed. Um, I still think it's one of the best records of the 2000s, period. Yeah. Like, I think it's really strong to this yeah. day. Last time I saw John Westbrook, I gave him a super with uh, with a joint. And we just ended up kissing, pretty much. <laughs> It's amazing how different the world is in 2016, 2006. <laughs> yes. But Knife Fight are amazing. We basically read all this email to get to talk about how much we love Knife Fight. I love Knife Fight. Knife Fight's yeah. sick. I like, I, um, uh, uh, Carry On, do you, you have the Knife in the Face 7-inch? That's our first one, right? Slash in the Face or Knife in the Face? I have, I definitely have that. I can't remember which order, which records came out. I think that's the first one. one. And that, Ryan Gavel. A future member of No Warning and and uh, Fighting Chance, uh, distroed it, and that was where I got it, and that's where I, I always associate Carry On. I, I must have heard other records by this band, but I definitely remember this seven inch. Yeah, the the yeah stab in the face, the first one. So I didn't remember what order, but then the line is drawn is the next on Young Blood, and then of course Roll with the Punches, which I think most people have seen was like kind of the tattoo artwork or whatever. But the Bridge Nine LP is the one I scored a rare version of from, uh, uh, what's that band? Striking Distance. Yeah, what's his Dave. Name? Yeah, that was a good. That was a good score. I like that record. I don't. I don't know if it's aged as well as I would like. I like the earlier Carry On stuff better myself. And there's a wonderful compilation called "It's All Our Blood" from 2001, which has kind of everything. It's probably the best starting point if you don't know them, and I highly recommend it. Yeah, it's everything up till the LP, right? Yeah, basically. But uh, I don't know if it just, it just to me, I think it sounds better or something, but um, maybe they mastered it better. But yeah, that's for me the the, the stuff to check out. Oh, it on only, that. I think it only has the first, I think it only has the second seven inch, then the second and the third seven inch on that. Second and third, yeah. Either way. But anyway, yeah, cool band. But again, Knife Fight is more uh, my speed in reality. Teamwork Records was like such a tastemaker at that point. <laughs> It's true. It was like the, uh, it was like, uh, that was the one no warning was like existing to try and get signed to. Yeah, it's funny how, and it's like one of those things that's just, yeah, it's, it's gone away. 
Yeah, like I think it, it went, went away a while ago. Well, yeah, the last like 2001. But Carry on. It's funny that of all the Carry on killed that, that label. <laughs> Which seems kind of insane, really, because that's one of the bands that sort of became a bit bigger, or however you want to say that, but yeah. Yeah. Do you remember the 97A LP, Society's Running on Empty? I never got into that LP, no, but I'm, like, I'm aware of it, but yeah. All right. I'm going to say Time Again, the last song on that, still one of my favorite hardcore songs from that era. <laughs> what, a, what a cover of this record, by the way. Um, this was a hugely controversial record at the time. <laughs> it was definitely very controversial, especially the 7-inch, which came out just prior, which uh, it's in our power. It's in our power, yeah, with the American flag on the cover. Yeah, and it was, like, more kind of critical, but I remember this being, like, hugely controversial at the time. It's just funny, like, it's another... The thing I look at most with these is, like, the layout on all these records. Oh, what was going on? 90s. Late 90s. Boy, oh, boy. Bad for aesthetic and hardcore. (laughs) Yeah, that, 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 like... That, like, uh, it's going to come back, though. You know, like, every yeah. terrible aesthetic gets its time. I'm sure, but uh, I'm dreading that, yeah. I don't know. I'm kind of nostalgic for the uh, Atari <laughs> artwork. Yeah. <laughs> no, thanks. Uh, I still own those records, guaranteed. I still have it somewhere. I have, I have, I, I think I have a lot of this stuff. So, I've, yeah, definitely have my Atari records. Got an amazing copy of the Breakaway 7-inch uh, not too long ago that has judge ripoff art on it i'm bummed i don't have this because it's the first release they ever did and i don't have this one well and also not only that have you click on it you start clicking on some members on there click on tim monroe look at what bands he was in yeah you broke up there look at click on tim monroe yeah yeah under breakaway check out what bands he was in oh unifry that's right i mean specifically i mean number two buddy what do you mean? You, uh, Pink Eye. Oh, is it on there? It's not on the one yeah. I clicked on. Yeah, yeah Tim Monroe. So it's like Breakaway, Pink Eye. Oh, sorry. You're looking at the top. I was looking at, yeah, I just scrolled to the bottom. Yeah, because he didn't uh, play on the record. He was just a member yeah, of the band. Right. But Wound Up, too. Yeah, that's a good record. Yeah, Chris, you're just glo- bearing the lead here with the fact that I'm saying I have lineage to teamwork, <laughs> number one. That's because it's not news to me. I know, I know everything about yeah. it. It's not news to me either, but I still love it. Yes. Okay. All right. Emails are done. Emails are done. Let's move on to this fucking episode. Yes. But thank you, everybody, and uh, send that stuff. We like it, and we talk about it for an hour. So there you go. Yeah. No, that was definitely a lot of fun. And let's move on to today's episode. Yes. Do you want me to kick it off? Yeah, man, go. All right. <laughs> so as we said off the top, today's episode is all about Bricksmith Start. Uh, I got to say once again, Shara, thank you so much for hooking this up. She wrote to me and was just like, hey, do you want to have Bricks on your show? She's written this book, The Rise, The Fall, The Rise, and The Rise, and it is awesome. It's a heavy book in the sense that it's a, it's a long book too, but it, it, a fantastic read. It, it reads really, you know, you fly through it. And uh, I definitely had to fly through it because I got it and quickly had to interview her shortly thereafter. So it was definitely, <laughs> I flew through it. Nice. Um, but anyway, so let's get into today's show because there is a lot to talk about. 
Yes, man. Where do you want to start? Uh, why don't you start? I'm going to start with uh, the fact that I love the Rodney Bingenheimer mention, and specifically <laughs> <laughs> the uh, the Rodney. Um, you guys mentioned what's that documentary? Uh, Mayor of the Sunset Strip, which yeah. is excellent, and uh, I recommend it for anyone who has not seen it. But um, the idea of you, I can't remember how you framed it in the interview, but I was very amused by how you wrote it. You said something along the lines of if you didn't have a family or whatever, that's how you would have ended up, and that society has a special place for obsessives, I think is how you worded it. Yeah. But um, I thought that was very well framed, not necessarily that you predict that you would be like that without a family, but um, I, I think that, yeah, like I think that's kind of what we do here a bit, so I was very uh, – I like people like characters like Rodney Bingham for that reason. And I, I think I'm a bit envious of their ability to kind of live out their dreams. Yeah. There's like a tragedy to that too, though. Right. You're like, great. yes, you've seen, have you seen vinyl by Alan Swag, the great Alan Swag? Uh, I think I've seen a bit of it at your place, but no, not that I really remember. I think just bits. It's like one of the, it's like the great movie about record collecting. And it really does deal with like people that have retreated into their obsessions. And there's like, yeah, there's like a a fantasy about that, but you know, when you're in it, it's probably not as good as it seems from the outside. (laughs) Yes. Well, I think of the two of us, you've come closer than me at points, certainly. Oh, yes. But, um, oh, yes. But I don't, I I guess I, I just like, I like that topic, though. I like the idea. Like, I thought it was amused. It was amused that she was talking about how she'd had that encounter and been to his house, but had not seen the documentary. <laughs> I thought that was funny. And she basically uh, said what the documentary highlights <laughs> very well. Yeah, I was like, I'm like, I get to expose you to this whole documentary. This is such a, this will be, trust me, really awesome. It was great. Like, I think even the part where she talks about him eating specifically at that place, I think that's even in there, if I'm not mistaken. Uh, yeah. Oh yeah, absolutely. It's in there. It's, it's yeah, she I, like, you know, it, it's for someone who hadn't seen the documentary, she certainly lived the, uh, fan experience. <laughs> yeah. Totally. It sounds good either as well. But yeah. And also you know, like, I, and I should have brought this up, but like, uh, Suzanne Hoff, of course, later in the bangles. Um, but before that they were the bangs and like, a kind of a punk band too. Was she in it with her, though, you're saying? No, no, but I'm just saying, like, I I should have asked her about when she met Suzanne. Oh, 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 I got you. Or whatever. Um, I don't think it would have been. Um, But have you heard that Bang 7-inch? The pre-Bangles record? I don't think so, but the name sounds familiar, but maybe I have. It's a sick record. It got reissued with the Bangles on the cover, but the original one just says the Bangs. And then they also had a 12-inch on Fast Product, maybe, or something? Just before they signed the major, that's also equally sick, and their major label stuff sick as well. Like I don't want to, don't want to pretend I only like the DIY era of the Bangles. <laughs> I've never been a Bangles head, but I have no beef with it at all. Um, so no, I, I'm not. It's not really my area of expertise. But the Bangs, no, not that I, I'm trying to look this record up, but I can't seem to find it. But it is late. <laughs> Yeah, it's like we're like an hour and a half in, and that's all we need is to open up that fucking Discogs again. <laughs> yeah. What would we be doing if we didn't have Discogs? I guess I'd be sitting here with all like our punk discography books, just flipping through them. Yeah, it would be just be a lot slower. I think It'd be slower. Be yeah. slower. Okay. <laughs> I went downstairs today. Oh, sorry. I went 
No, sorry. I went downstairs today and I was grabbing books from like all one of the bookshelves down there. And I looked and I saw I have like a rock and roll discography book from like 1987 that someone gave me. Like just like a price guide. It's like, okay. When will I ever need that? <laughs> like apart never. from burning for heat at some point. <laughs> but yet I still have hold, held on to it. For, for folks who are not aware, you have a lot of books. I have a lot of books. Well, as you, you said, I, I was pretty close to falling into to the Rodney life. No, but your books are, are quite impressive, too. Everyone knows you for your records, but your books are very impressive. Well, the, the books thing was, I think, uh, timing out at a time when uh, you could see all those books landing in used bookstores. Yeah, that's where <laughs> you got a lot of them? A lot of them from used bookstores, yeah. Oh, cool. Like the zines, I, I bought a couple collections, and then, of course, stuff I bought myself. But, like, the books, it was just, like, going to, like, BMV. Yeah, that, that these... place was a hotbed. It was crazy. I don't know if it still is, but it was wild. I'm sure. I'm sure. Actually, I was in there not too long ago, and I picked up a bunch of shit. I was just like, that. that's awesome. That's awesome. I hadn't seen that before. Yeah. It, it's... Still never found building a scene or whatever. Yeah, I don't I don't go looking hard when I go in, but I'd always tend to find something, and it was kind of annoying because I never wanted to carry around books all day. But, yeah. Uh, So, I guess, was that your point? So, my yeah, point? Yeah, yeah. Go, go on. Uh, I did the Rodney Bingenheimer, so you go on, whatever. Um, I guess I want to talk about uh, the uh, the idea of hard-edged new wave. That <laughs> okay. was like a thing. Yeah, I don't, I don't know where, I don't know <laughs> what. Uh, I need a frame of reference. Where here. she was talking about how she was into mainly like the hard-edged new wave stuff and putting like you two on their first tour in that camp. Oh, sorry, sorry. Okay, yes, I know. I heard her say it, but I thought you were gonna frame other groups. No, but I, I think know. like you would put in like like what would be in that group category for you, like Depeche Mode. Uh, I don't know. Echo and the Bunnymen. But see again, like, I don't know. Like those groups to me. There's nothing hard about any of those groups for me at all. So, um, compared to like, I don't know what would be the opposite end of the spectrum for. See, like, I, but yeah, I don't even know. I, that's a difficult. Compared to Wham, they're hard. <laughs> well, yes, of course. I wouldn't even. I don't know. It was Wham New Wave though. I, I don't. I don't even know if I'd say. Or Duran Duran compared to Duran Duran. Yeah. Okay. They're hard. I, I mean, yeah, you're right. Like much much. Wave at all? I just I don't know. I don't think about new wave very much in general. Um, hard new wave. Yeah, I don't. I don't trying to think of a group that would exemplify that. I guess early, like the early U two thing is interesting to me because that whole idea that they were like I don't know weren't they a Ramones cover band initially or something like that? Yeah, they formed as a Ramones cover band or something is the uh, the legend. And I remember seeing Bono in like the history of rock and roll on the punk episode. It's like, yeah, we thought we were a punk band for a minute, but then we realized we were never going to be that good or something. He had some like a amazing quote. <laughs> I don't know what it was. So I'm probably know. misquoting that, him there. But... Yeah, but in that what's on that first record? On the first U two record? Oh, I don't know. But the like I can see if there's rooted in that sort of thing. Yeah, maybe, maybe I'd give that a bit of a hard edge. I don't. I don't know. I'm trying to think. Like none of these groups are convinced. Like Echo and the Bunnymen to me are. Like I don't. I don't think I would consider them new wave. I don't know why. I just in my brain I don't. I don't feel that way about them. Um, 
but I only really know that LP, the first LP, I think it is. Um, first, you two, you were saying. Yeah. Is the island record talking? I guess, yeah. The the uh, That's the first one. Yeah, boy. From 80. Um, I don't know this one, I don't think. I definitely have listened yeah, to this but... record, but I can't say it's left a lasting impression on me. <laughs> yeah, I will follow, it. obviously. Yeah, um, I remember there was a story about uh, about uh, Bono on that first tour, and in Toronto, in a indiscretion. Just gonna leave that at that. <laughs> okay. okay. Um, I don't know. You got me on this, and it's probably because I'm tired too. But I can't think of any hard-edged new wave bands. Yeah. Any other thoughts on that? Any other any other examples? I don't know. I'm trying. That's what I was thinking. I was trying to make the genre, Chris. I thought we could build a genre tonight. I know we're slight. I know we're an hour and a half into this fucking episode. <laughs> I don't know. I'm trying. Like I don't. New way. Okay. Well, let me redirect. Would you wear a Vivian Westwood pirate outfit? I personally would not. Although I was very amused by that anecdote, um, and I would like to go. I wish I could, like, travel back in time to go in that store, though. Oh my god! Yeah, that would be pretty amazing. It's funny too, like uh it's like imagine the pirate thing had caught on in the same way the punk thing had caught on. Like they probably thought like Well, this pirate thing, that could be the next thing. Imagine that had <laughs> caught on, like they, <laughs> You know, like in like in the same way that people are like health goth in two thousand sixteen or like they're being like they're like, I'm this goth, I'm this goth. Like people are like health pirate and stuff and like Yeah. I don't know what I, I don't like those little subcategories are always so strange to me that idea like the ones you just mentioned but yeah the pirate thing like it could have happened know. it could have become like oh, a it thing it definitely could it could still technically <laughs> but I don't know I think the ship has sailed on that literally <laughs> ever since the Seinfeld episode where he makes fun of the pirate shirt it, that was where it was officially dead I think that was what killed it in in, <laughs> in, in our time Forever. I'll have to wait to the future when pirates can become cool again. <laughs> also, there's never been a good pirate movie. A Pirates of the Caribbean, maybe. No, that's not uh, that good. I think isn't. I think there is a good pirate movie. Ice Pirates. Yeah, that's what I, was, I think that's the one I was going to think of. It, that one's decent, if I recall. I haven't watched it in a long time, but um, yeah, I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. I'm talking about pirates and pirate shirts. This is hilarious. Yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah, I don't know. I don't have anything for this. Uh, for this, what, what was it? What we were no, the pirate about? one. Okay, then you move on to your one. Okay. <laughs> um, let's see here. I thought it was the the neat thing about her going to school at Bennington. I thought was crazy. Mm-hmm. And that I, that kind of whatever that whatever year that class was kind of nuts. Like, of all the people that were there that she was naming? Yeah. But, like, as far as your Brett Easton Ellis inquiry, too, I don't know if he was punk. I don't... Well, do you want me to give you the origins of why I asked that? Why is that? Because a while ago, he was, like, putting up all this stuff on social media about being really into fucked up. Oh. So so I was always like, okay, I want to see if that was, like, a thing that he's like, or, you know, but I've never gotten close enough to ask him. Huh. Yeah. That's I didn't I wasn't aware of that, but the um I've heard him speak of things like related to cuz is uh 
where the hell is he from? Where are the replacements from? Minneapolis? Minneapolis, yeah. Yeah. I think he's from there, right? I believe. Anyway, um, so I think he has a minor connection to that, but I don't know if it's really would be like considered punk or whatever. I don't, I don't know how, how that works as far as him personally, but I don't know why we're talking about this. Sorry. I'm just kind of going no, off Well, because that to me is like, I find that fascinating. Oh, he's from L.A. He's from L.A., but I think there's some – I thought there was a stretch where he's in Minneapolis okay. or something. Like there's – or is that – where is Bennington? I don't even know where that is. I think it's like northeast U.S., though. Yeah. I think. Well, she she said she was able to go to New York. Yeah, so it had to be somewhere, I guess, there. But um, I think he has some connection to whatever, Minneapolis or whatever. I, I, I'm foggy, but – uh, so perhaps there's something there, but I don't. I don't think you're. Um, him liking fucked up. I don't think would pull up punk past stuff, but I could be wrong. Who knows? We're gonna have to get him on the show and yeah, have man. an awkward conversation where I realize that there is no punk connection. <laughs> I'm. Uh, I think that would be really good. Actually, I think you'd do a good interview with him. But I. I, I would more like to hear you on his show. Uh, uh oh yeah he has a podcast right does he still do it I, I think he had one for a time I don't know yeah I remember he had it. he had like Kanye West on he oh, had yeah. a different caliber of guests than myself <laughs> <laughs> no but he's he, he likes musicians I think so I think you'd be a decent uh choice but anyway that's just wishful thinking for now I suppose well uh, if someone out there is listening who's not <laughs> who's uh who's friends with him let him know that he's invited on yeah. the show. There you go. Uh, okay, I guess puking on Joey Ramone. <laughs> puking on Heron uh, on Johnny Ramone. I, I think I also just learned Ramones in general and kind of her connections to him at various points I found really interesting. Yeah, I think, it, again, it's such a strange, like, it's, it's I'm envious of the people of, of that age where they were able to kind of see that band at their height or whatever in their prime and have personal relationships perhaps with some of them because I just, to me, they're just mythic. Yeah. But, uh, I was going to say like, they're almost like when gods walk the earth, you know, like, I, and I like, you know, run into or met a couple of them just being at the age I am and stuff and seeing them around and in other bands and stuff. And it's like, even when you see them, it's just like an aura in the same way that I would imagine that Prince had that aura. Yeah. yeah. No, totally. I, I've only ever, <laughs> uh, speaking of Minneapolis, um, I've only ever, uh, what is it? Marky's the only one I've ever, I think, come in contact with. I'm trying to think now. Yeah. He's the only one. So I never, you had photo, you put up a photo of you with Johnny, I think, right? Yeah, I went for dinner with him in high school. That's and, amazing. Well, our teacher was friends with him. That's crazy. Oh, yeah, it's like this totally nuts story where our teacher was like movie poster buddies with him and traded movie posters with him. Crazy. So this teacher who you would not associate with the Ramones or rock and roll or any of that type of stuff <clears throat> was like, we're going to have dinner with Johnny Ramone. And we're all like, yeah, bullshit. Right. Like there's no way. Yeah. And so we're there and sure enough, he's like an hour late and we've finished dinner. And we're all just <laughs> like, this is not happening. And then walks Johnny fucking Ramone. Wow. Yep. He was cool. He's chilled the whole time. What did you, uh, did you ask him anything specifically? Mm -hmm. 
what what uh what was broached what topics well ramones uh that live thing had just come out the last show yeah and okay, I was, so this was kind of at the end all right oh it was after the ramones we were like oh. asking him like are you ever gonna play guitar again he's like do you ever hear about a retired baseball player picking up a baseball bat and playing baseball again <laughs> i'm like well kind of and he's like no it doesn't happen <laughs> It's like, I'm sure they play with their kids. You know. I've always loved that. Though. I, I had always heard tell that he did not practice, apparently. Like, no. he, he did not, other than when he had to, like, play gigs or whatever. So I've always thought that is the best, um, what's the word, uh, mentality to keep with punk rock. I know oh, it yeah. doesn't work for everybody, but um, I've always liked that that sort of purity of just only playing when you play kind of thing rather than like, you know, brushing up on it. His theory was that everyone who, who practiced got worse and he would cite, I can't remember who the, the artist he would cite specifically, but anyway, I thought it was a very, very uh, great. Yeah. Attitude. He was like a curmudgeonly guy. I'm not going to pretend oh, yeah. that didn't yeah. come across, but he said like, <laughs> he like, we're, so I'm like, Oh, so why did you have like, wh- why is Eddie Vedder the last person ever to sing a Ramon song? And yeah. why is it a cover of an Eddie Cochran song? <laughs> yes. And he's like, well, well, the label wanted it. You know, wow. and Eddie was cool. That was the song he knew all the words to. So we just I always felt, I always found that was odd, too. But were you saying it because you were bummed or because? You yeah, were super, it? super bummed. Yeah, because on that video, that is weird. I agree. Yeah. And it's like it makes sense billing wise and like, you know. Uh, like if you were at like a huge rock festival, like how would you get the audience back after you had a big guest like that? Like, trust me, I've made that mistake before bringing a big <laughs> guest out mid set. And then you're like, what do we do for the rest of this fucking set now? Um, but you know, I think at the Ramones last show ever. Yeah. It should have been a Ramones song. Yeah. I, 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 I bet you Eddie better. And he was like, yeah, Eddie kind of felt the same way even. <laughs> and that like... would, yeah that i've always thought because i can't i'm foggy on exactly because there's a few guests on that if i'm not mistaken isn't there yeah tim and uh tim and lars tim and lars and third I, thought, and third. I thought there was another one dd comes out and he actually we asked him about that we're like he's like you know it's how dd's all like his pot's kind of weird and we're like i'm doing like i'm doing john worster <laughs> marky ramon impression for <laughs> or johnny you mean? yeah, yeah but anyway uh, so he's like, and it's like, that's because DD came in at the wrong time and they had to digitally, and this is like the, I guess the early infancy days of digital recording or however they did it, had to move his vocal up to match the music. <laughs> oh, boy. He, he like fucked it up. Well, in keeping with the, uh, I guess the memory of DD, I suppose in certain ways, but yeah, um, I met him one time just cause I was walking down Queen street and he was walking the other way and I'm like, Hey DD. And he was like, Hey, and that was the extent of the meeting. So. That's cool, man. Those are the two. I never uh, never got to see or meet either of them, and I'm kind of bummed. Well, Didi Ramone, his last record was recorded by John Drew. Yeah, I know, and he, wasn't it released here as well? Yeah, it was released on other people's music. Yeah, um, I remember um, that. I remember, like, he was, like, not, um, he was not, like, you could have gotten in touch with him or whatever, however you want to say that. He was not unattainable. Oh, no, he played the Alma Convo. I went and saw it, and it was, he was not unattainable. Yeah. So it's, I mean, it's just, I don't know. You you don't realize, like, I would have gone to that now and stuff like that. I never took advantage for whatever reason. Yeah, you know, it's it, like, 
it sucks because as you get older, you realize you should have gone to everything and you should yeah. be going to everything now because you're going to miss it and you're nostalgic for fucking everything. <laughs> yes, I I agree with at least this stuff, particularly for me. They're just a group because I never saw them. I believe you did, right? Uh, No, I never saw the Ramones. Oh, okay. You didn't either. I thought uh, you had. They or... played the Lollapalooza. Yeah. And then they played Hamilton. Yeah, I recall that. And I remember the Hamilton one I had an opportunity to go to. With White Zombie. Exactly. And that's why I didn't go. And me too. I was, like, I was like, well, it's a White Zombie show. I don't want to go to this. And I kind of thought they'd be back. Like, who stayed dead? Like, it was like post-Who. Like, yeah. The agreed. Who had been back, like, like, twice in my lifetime by that point. Yeah, agreed. I, I, I felt very similar to you in that. And so it's that's the one major yeah. one that I, I – yeah. Oh, it's, unbelievably they, bummed that they I, I never got. played my area, like, a couple times, and I missed both of them. Yeah. And both, both are kind of classic shows um, that people who went – that I'm envious of still kind of go on about rightfully, but uh, yeah, I, I, it's, yeah, it's a bummer. I, I miss that group. I kind of, like, I'm glad in many ways that sort of the later records aren't what people think of in, in their memories. Not that they're terrible, but um, yeah, cause they're, I stand by, they never were bad. Yeah, I agreed. But uh, those are early ones. Good Lord. I they, just can't. Yeah. Like I just can't get over them. They're so I like good. the mid period ones too. Yeah, yeah. I have no beef with any of it, but the early ones for me, I just, man, just floor me to this day. I can't even, I don't understand how things can be that timeless sometimes. It just doesn't make any sense to me. Well, because I think they just like, I don't know, they found what it is about this music that works. You know, they were like the first band that was like reductive with it and was like, okay, what is it about frat rock that hits? <laughs> <laughs> like, you know, like frat rock. I mean, like the old, like original. Yeah, frat yeah. Rock, right? yeah I, like, get what you, I know what you're trying to say. Yeah. You know, those, those type, that type music. And like, what is it about bubblegum, like doo-wop music that hits, you know, yeah. and just trying to like take little parts of it and being like, okay, let's, let's do it. And then of course, like, you know, they were playing the way they played. So it didn't come out that way, Yeah, <laughs> you know, but they were definitely like, you know, you know, glam musicians and, and people that had been seen music and they were you know i think like a lot of it is played like they didn't know what was up but i think they knew what was up and kind of kind of like we're we're figuring out a sound i agree i agree with that i think it was a lot more um what's the word methodical than it appears yeah, yeah. some of it Especially yeah. when you hear Tommy speak about things and you're like, okay, hold on here. There was like a real, real blueprint. Early yeah, and on. Joey had already played in bands, you know, and like, yeah. and bands that actually gigged. Yeah. And stuff too, so. Um, yeah. I like this Ramones talking point. We're getting tired and it's very nostalgic. Yeah. <laughs> what, uh, I don't remember who brought this point up, but what's the next point here? Uh... Uh, I think you brought up the Ramones actually, because you brought up the puking on Joy Ramone thing. Um, the one thing I guess I want to I want to take one is the 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 bands in the '90s that are you you guys mentioned, like the whatever Sugar Cubes, Bad Seeds, Pussy Galore, Swans, Neubotten. Can't remember what the other one was. All, Sonic all the bands, Youth. Sonic Youth, but the bands that the Fall were touring with, which she's mentioning, even kind of Nirvana gets lumped in there, but the you guys framed it in a certain way. It was it you that 
what did you call it? I yeah, I try. I was trying to figure a sound for it. Yeah, but I I, I think you were like I can't remember what you were saying about it because I'm a little hazy at the moment. But the I, I thought that was well said. Like uh, the point about those groups being so uniquely sort of dark in a way, and how yeah. that all existed at the same time, but it was all different. I don't know, and I'm again. It was I, all like very anti, especially even Sonic Youth at that time period, like the mid '80s, like is when. This, yeah, I think would have been right. Like, and it was like almost like Sonic Youth. Like, it was all like it's like hateful, in a way too. Well, and it's like kind of it's weird because a lot Maybe of other sugar cubes. Yeah, well, sugar cubes I think are more of the popular poppy. Pardon me, one of all of those, but the. Uh, the thing that I find the most peculiar is like, I think some of these bands were like trying, although the records are very good and they stand up, especially from that period when you listen to these groups, but like some of these bands, I feel like we're actively trying to like not make music properly. <laughs> like they're trying to be as most uh, like almost as unappealing as possible. Yeah. Pussy Galore, was, definitely. Oh, Pussy Galore for sure. I, I would even accuse the Swans mm-hmm. of course of that. And, and the bad seeds too. Like, yeah. I mean, there's legit, like, you know, it's not the Nick Cave of today. Agreed. And I, I think bad seeds more so, though, than like birthday party. But, um, I mean, birthday yeah, party. Birthday party more, more than bad seeds, definitely. Yeah. The, yeah. But the, uh, yeah, it's just funny. Like, it's, uh, it's a weird time period that I don't think is replicated again. In terms it's funny, of, though, with it's going just back to the Bad Seeds and Nick Cave, and I guess this will be like a whole other episode and not weird to get into, but it's it's funny with his musical progression. It's almost like he starts off so poppy, you know, like not pop. Well, yeah, poppy. Like it's like, you know, that stuff with uh, Boys, Boys Next, Next, Next Door, Door yeah. is like kind of like, is like, you know, like very new wavy at times, you know, like quote unquote new wavy. Like it's still punk and, and and dark but but it gets so much darker with him oh yeah oh yeah totally and i'm not even a gigantic i mean i like nick cave i've never really gotten into him to the degree that i know other people that we know have but um the records i know by him and of course i, li- I really like the birthday party i've never gotten into his solo stuff as much admittedly but oh, I, love, I don't know i, I don't know if you all. could call it the solo stuff whatever the bad seeds i don't know if that's solo stuff but um but yeah definitely like Definitely appreciate him more with age. I will say that. Like, looking at that that catalog, it's just kind of incredible to think of those records in that period of time. But oh, like Grinderman, oh, like right up till. Today. Oh, I love. Yeah, Grinderman's great. Grinderman, first Grinderman record too. Is, oh, they're both excellent, but the first one is unreal. Yeah. Um, yeah, totally awesome. But, um, but just thinking of like that band, like all those bands, even the Fall, like that whole. I know bands like this exist still, but there's just something about that period that's really always on my mind about how those things kind of permeated in a different way than they do now. I don't know if it's because there's just so many more groups right now or something, or it's more like a diluted sort of in a way where because there's so much more, they're not as focal or something. But I don't know, man. That list is really strong when you think of like that period of time. There are of- bands from today that you could see fitting in that. Oh, no, I agree, but I don't know if it's, like, the same kind of, uh, trying to think of the way to articulate this properly. Like, they exist, but I just think there's so much more other, whatever, like, uh, content, music content, that it doesn't pop in the same way or something. I don't know what it is. 
I would say Ice Age. Couldn't you see Ice Age kind of fitting yep, perfectly? Yeah, totally. Yeah. I even think like a better example of that even is that Marching Church Band, which is the one guy's, or I, I don't know, maybe multiple members, but it's a side project of the of Ice Age, which is a little more, even more like the stuff we're talking about. Yeah. But yeah, Ice Age certainly. Yeah, for sure. And that is a band that's lower too. And like that, I don't know, maybe it's in Denmark. Maybe that's like where this (laughs) could be. I mean, we're, we're speaking broadly here. I I realize there's many groups kind of of that ilk that I still like contemporary, but um, I don't know that there's just something about that period. I'm I'm probably just being nostalgic. In some cases though, these people in these bands have kind of been proven to be kind of assholes. (laughs) True. Very true. And, and so maybe it's like, better in some cases that they're not i don't know even i just think about john spencer even talking about like how he kind of has regrets for that era well i think it's like again it it sort of speaks to the idea of when we brought up that butthole surfers video from whatever a week ago yeah or two weeks ago what well, was from 90s but we we brought it up on the show um it's kind of like there was a weird like lawlessness about like so much shit in that time yeah. that it's just I can't believe it flew at all in this like in thinking of it in this year. Yeah. Like presently. I just yeah, I can't imagine. So yeah, you're 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 very right. I mean John Smith is an interesting one too because I think a lot of people just think of the blues explosion and they don't really think of the other John Spencer, uh, which is certainly much more edgy <laughs> at a minimum. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, I, I, which is not to say John Spencer that band is excellent as well. It's still going actually, but that I was think, before we had footnotes, right? Uh, yeah, I think so. Yeah, Pretty that sure. would have been a fun one to do a footnote. Oh for. boy, yeah, great, really interesting guy for me. Yeah, me too. I I, I find uh, I find that, and you know, and I don't even know if it came across in an episode. It's been a while since I heard it. Um, definitely, <laughs> I go back and listen to stuff. <laughs> you should. Everyone else should. Definitely. Yes. But, uh, not a, but, uh, he, uh, yeah, definitely like a, like Pussy Galore is like one of those bands that I fucking love. Like, I just, I think their music's awesome. The fact that it's like Bob, there's Bob Burton, Pussy Galore was, I know, can't remember. I'm not going to fact check myself on that, but anyway, uh, but anyway, I, I just think that band is fantastic. And like, I, would they have toured with a birthday party at all or no, it's just a bad season. I don't know. I, I feel like I don't. I don't know the years on when uh, the birthday party. I, they could have. I'm sure. Yeah. I would. Uh, but yeah, First like stuff was, uh, in mid '80s. Yeah, they could have. I wonder who it would be. Yeah, like that scene, and, and so those are really the bands. I'm trying to think. Maybe the Butthole Surfers. Like, who else would you lump into that scene? Could you lump into that scene? Like after the Ooh. fact. Um. What do you mean? Like contemporary groups or ones? Well, just... ones that were there. You know, like Sonic Youth was another one. Yeah, Butthole's a good choice. I think Butthole's a bit weirder. I think Butthole would be, well, I think Butthole's a bit more evil than something like Ween. But uh, Yeah, I wouldn't say Ween is there. No, but, but you know, that weird kind of yeah. whatever. Um, Yo, but have you heard that song, The Party by Ween? Whatever. <laughs> that I could think of. I've never, I, I like Ween fine, but I'm not a huge Ween head either. Yeah, that's like my, that's like, that song's so sick. That band, like I think, awesome. if I really took a time and really like got into Ween, I think I would I would fall head over heels. But for whatever reason, I've never done it. <laughs> that I don't know. For me, it's like I have I've tried to get into more stuff, but it's really only that song. Okay, but that song for me is like is is pretty fucking awesome. Yeah, there's something I really appreciate about the absurdity of that group. I don't really know what it is, but 
yeah, it it's it's got me for someone who isn't a fan legitimately yet, but one day. Um, but yeah, the uh, I'm trying to think of groups like that. Yeah, I don't know. There's definitely ones we're missing here, but um, oh yeah, Man, that's a good so list. So much though. more to talk about, but it is so fucking. We're two yeah. hours in already. <laughs> yeah, very late, and I think you can tell. Oh yes. <laughs> Yes. If you're still in for this one, you are you are a footnotes. Either yeah. that or you just can't change what you're listening to on your iPod. In which case, <laughs> we're uh, we're happy we can fill that void for you right now. All right. Well, take one out. Let's do one last point. You go, and then we'll we'll call it a night. Okay. Well, I guess like the one thing we should talk about is the Nirvana stuff. I guess I don't know. Whatever, buddy. We've glossed over a good amount, but the yeah, Nirvana stuff's interesting. Yeah, I, I think... found the Nirvana stuff interesting. Like, I find it always interesting when you talk to people that were in, especially that scene. Yeah. Um, maybe Green River also I could put in those bands that we were talking about earlier. Yeah, yeah, totally. Um, um, but, like, when you're talking to people that were around in that transition from the, the pre-Nirvana to the grunge-slash-alternative era... It's it's awesome to kind of like see the different perspectives that you get depending on where people were. Yeah, I think like I always find it interesting when you ask the people that were there, like you just said, because it's, I like hearing the people that aren't sensational about it. Like it's mm-hmm. obvious that it was a huge deal and therefore, you know, younger people or people that were sort of whatever disassociated are going to have like kind of like a bias is the wrong word, but like a, a just like a not authentic take on it or something so whenever you're talking to the people that like saw it happen and especially when they're just like not really moved that's mm-hmm. when i always am most amused because what was it nate's nate mendel's episode yeah is that the one where he was like kind of like just yeah eh. <laughs> yeah it was at the same show nico case saw yeah, but he totally. didn't where she's like and she's like it was amazing and he's like yeah sound like led <laughs> yeah. zeppelin it's funny. Uh, I still disagree with that statement, but um... oh, so do I. Like, I would be much more in the Nico Case camp. <laughs> totally. Uh, but it, all, all if it was 2006, me, I'd probably be in the Nate camp, to be honest. <laughs> yes, totally, totally. Um, but yeah, I think I just think that's kind of any anecdotes now that I hear. But again, a lot of what we've discussed earlier, uh, like literally the point earlier, is kind of like that band being so huge, but also having so many things that existed in this like weird lawless time period that even that they were a part of is something I find interesting. You know what I mean? Like, like, uh, there was actually, a what was it? Oh God, I'm forgetting his name. Bobcat Goldthwait. Uh, recently I was watching a show, an actual vice show. I can't remember what the hell is it called? Party legends mm-hmm. where he does like, uh, it's like an animated thing where people tell stories about parties or weird things they were at. But um, he recounted an anecdote because I guess he toured with Nirvana, which I wasn't aware of. Like he opened for Nirvana, Bobcat. Doing comedy? Yeah, which is insane. That's awesome. And so, and he was wild, so it makes sense in a, in a certain way. But, it, you know, it's kind of strange in another. But um, but he basically talks about how he was just, you know, dealt with like, you know, the audiences every night or whatever. But I guess he tried to play this prank on one of the final shows where he was like something to do with like he was going to be like um, let down from the ceiling or whatever, like naked. 
while they played. But it was supposed to be like a gag that lasted like, I don't know, whatever, like a minute or something at tops. But the fucking rigging fucked up and he was just like strung up there naked <laughs> for like a while. <laughs> and then eventually like slammed down or whatever. But anyway, it's just a funny anecdote. But it's like the stuff he's talking about, you're just like, I couldn't imagine any of this happening today again. Um, the more I think about it. So the Nirvana thing for what she was talking about was interesting when she was talking about like just yeah, they, they were these dirty dudes that just <laughs> didn't really seem like they were going to be anything special. And, you know, yet they're the biggest band in the world, like a year later, probably. He had a new wave band. Who, who did? Bobcat. Oh, did he? Or a power pop band. Really? I'm not yeah. aware of this. Trend. Trend? Yeah. Huh. And this was like during his comedy or pre? Pre. Wow. Um, Do you have that? Uh, I think it was, is it the trend? No, maybe it, is it? I don't know, man. No, it's not. It's like some other band. I'm just like looking for some reason. This came up on Break My Face when I just tried to Google the name of his band. I'm looking for the name of his band, but I can't seem to find it. I was in a band. Well, when I was look him up on the uh, look him up on the old engine here. Um, there is Dead Ducks. Dead Ducks. Yeah. Huh. What would, like, what is it? Is it like a punk band or like? Yeah. Huh. Yeah, there's Dead Ducks. And then I think he was in another band later on. Weird. Yeah, I don't know. I've never heard that. But is it, uh, you said you don't own it. But so how did you hear, hear about this? Uh, I read about it years ago. And Mike would always talk about it from Fucked Up, Mike Halichuk. And then. Um, now I'm just reading it about it on the Google machine, um, <laughs> cool. but I don't think they recorded anything as far as I know, but I wonder Crazy. what that has to do with the it kinda, I guess, I don't know. It kind of makes sense based on his personality that he would have been in a band like this, but, um, although he's from Syracuse, but, oh yeah, he does say in groups, the trend that comes up under his entry. Really? Yeah. Cause it says the trend were based in Syracuse, which is where he's from. So, yeah, he had some kind of involvement in that group. Oh. Yeah, yeah, they were very inform- they were in the trend, very early formation of the band. Uh and also uh Tom Kenny, the comedian. Huh. Crazy. Yeah. Yeah. Wow, anyway. that's crazy. Yeah, like he's another one. He's like I was actually going through the list of all the original guests I want on the show and he's one of the first names I have on there. Bob Kenny? Yeah. Yeah, nice. It'd be good, man. His story, if you've, not, if you've not seen that show, is really, really funny. He's funny in general, but um, but yeah, just like not realizing that sort of like even him touring with them and shit like that is just kind of interesting to hear. Oh, yeah, it'd be awesome to uh, – it'd be amazing. There'd be so many good stories. Yeah. <laughs> One day, my friend. You'll One day, it. God willing. Once again, anyone out there who's still listening, if you're friends with Bobcat <laughs> – Actually, someone also tweeted at me this crazy thing Eric Andre posted where he said that the Charles Bronson discography, Disc 1, is one of his favorite records. I'm going to tweet a link to it. That makes sense. Talks about FYP. Well, it's... it's, What? He mentions FYP as well? Yeah, yeah, he mentions FYP, Charles Bronson, and there's something fucking else. It's like some other random thing that's also kind of cool. Yeah, well, I mean, I don't know. You, I'm assuming you're familiar with the show, though, or no? Yeah, I am. Yeah, and I knew he was into punk, but like, I didn't. You never know how deep someone goes. 
Yeah, um, well, anything? the Charles Bronson one I could see, but the FYP I'm impressed with. That one to me. Oh, Screeching Weasel, Nicaragua. Nicaragua. Nicar- I mean, it's like, fuck it. <laughs> Either way, yeah. Like, Screeching Weasel and Charles Bronson for me are a bit more... Well, Charles Bronson is a, is a crazy mention for... Uh, yeah, for I was going to say, Charles Bronson to me is the way more... Well, no, FYP is pretty... FYP is a too. wild one. Yeah, that one's crazy. By the way, Charles Bronson is like, you know, yeah, 2016, great, that is like one of those ones when like someone says that, like, oh, yeah, I'm into Charles Bronson. It's like, what? That is awesome. <laughs> yeah. By the way, Chris, did you know the Charles Bronson demo 7-inch? If you wrote to that address, it would go to the lead singer of the band Race Trader's House. <laughs> what? Wait, I don't know. Wait, hold on. It was I... like a bootleg of their demo. Oh, okay. And it was released on, a, they called it Privilege Cracker Records. <laughs> and uh, they put the the band race trader the lead singer of the band race traders address on. Wow. Uh, well, race trader famously was pre Fallout Boy too. Yes, I knew that, but I wasn't aware of the uh, who was the singer of that group. I can't remember his name. Yeah, um, that'd be <laughs> another person who'd be awesome to have on the show. They were on yeah. also they were on the Hardline Records or whatever Hardline Records became that put out the yeah. first Fallout Boy CD. That's, I think that's what I was thinking about earlier when I was trying to talk about My Chemical Romance. I think that's yeah. the one I was thinking about. But, yeah, that's um, definitely the one that de- – that's definitely the release that they have that I'm sure – you know, if, if they have anything still impressed, that's the one. That would be still like demanded for it <laughs> in a way that there's not really the same demand for the Race Trader CD. <laughs> yes, exactly. <laughs> what a strange uh, – to, to parlay off Bobcat. That dude's in a band with Callahan now. Which the that sect band S E C T yeah 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 that's yeah. huh. sick have you heard it I've heard like one song in passing online it was it was decent it was like kind of medley it wasn't really my vibe as much but yeah it's weird to hear Chris do that style but I I, I like as I said to him like to me he's like a an auteur where I just love to see his his like a voice applied to different types of bands yeah. And it's something different for him a little bit from other stuff. So yeah, I mean it's fine. Like it's it's I haven't heard it in length, so I don't I can't judge like the full recording. But yeah, it's it's interesting. But it is uh this is now just devolved into just like a phone call conversation between you. <laughs> totally. Well, let's end it. <laughs> yeah, we should probably just call it right now. I'm sure it's long enough. But... Oh my god. Well, thank you for making it this far into the show. Holy shit. I still have to fucking write all this stuff. Oh, my yep. God. It was a long night. Okay. Anyway, thank you, everyone, for listening to the show. Uh, if you want to get in touch with us, you can email us at turnedoutapunkfootnotes at gmail.com. You can find me on various forms of social media, Ala for Damien, and, uh, and uh, oh, yeah, facebook.com, turnedoutapunk, uh, turnedoutapunk.tumblr.com. And, uh, uh, oh yeah, check out Clobbering Time. Nikki from Nothing's on it this week. And the one before I draw Cosloy on it. And, uh, that's it. Anything you want to add, Chris? No, I'm good. All right, everyone. Thank you so much for listening and for making it this far in. <laughs>